bumper edition of Page 180. Fan Club's Kev Keen returns to compare our favourite TV shows of 2023. Fake News is back to cover Spotify, Roxy and Punk's return. I'm a celeb and Conor McGregor's next war. Plus I've got reviews of Maestro and Eileen. All that and more still to come. You're very welcome to another edition of Page 180. And guys... As you know, we're covering a lot on this. We're either covering a new TV show or big movie every week and then trying to review all the cinematic releases too. Uh, so some of the stuff that we don't get to cover and fall through the cracks are the new stories uh, of the week. And as we uh, usually do, our current feature, uh, we're going to discuss them in uh, the segment where, again, the truth, it may be considered optional because, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to get kicked off this week because it's time for... Ladies and gentlemen, this is your fake news. I'm your anchor, Jer Leggett. And a new study has shown that you're really, really cool if you make jokes slagging people for sharing their Spotify rap lists. The scientists who conducted the study shared that all of us are... 50% 50% more intrigued by people who write, oh, nobody cares what you listen to on Spotify on their social media because their taste in music must be amazing. It also showed that, contrary to popular belief, people who don't participate in group activities aren't just cynical dry shites, but are, in fact, the best crack at parties. Conor McGregor's war on the retailers of Ireland last week continued as he declared the next step to be the siege of Smith's toy stores. Leading an army of scrotes wearing Columbia jackets, socks stuck into their tracksuit bottoms and brand new left-footed runners on both feet. The MMA fighter said the only solution to the housing crisis in Ireland was for everyone to steal a Barbie dream house because it's made in China or something. Nobody really understands why any of these people do what they do. Unfortunately for McGregor, he organized a rally to take place at his Black Forge Inn establishment and as the balance sheet for the business has shown recently, nobody goes there or listens to anything he says anymore, so the incident passed without anyone noticing. The world is now officially okay with Brexit because Nigel Farage ate a kangaroo's left testicle on national television. I'm a celeb fans were initially cynical of the intentions of the former MEP, but seeing him chomp into that marsupial's bollock really gave the nation a full appreciation for the nuance of his political views. One source close to Farage said, People might think that annoying popular public figures like Josie Gibson, Fred from First Dates, and Anton Deck is bad PR, but in fact... Sorry, what was the question again? Finally, congratulations to CM Punk who won CM Punk Bingo after the Voice of First promo following his return to WWE last week at Survivor Series. Fans were initially left confused as to why one of the most skilled mouthpieces in wrestling history was left incoherently rambling generic platitudes and old punk phrases like I'm home and voice of the voiceless without ever really making a point or explaining why he'd actually returned to the place that he spent the last decade of his life telling us was toxic and broke him as a person fundamentally. That was until it was revealed that he'd had a bet with fellow returnee Randy Orton to just fit in a bunch of phrases into the promo and as a result won $10 because everything he now he does now has zero meaning and it's just for the fucking money. And ladies and gentlemen, that's been your fate, final fake news of 2023. I've been Jer Leggett. Now for some movie reviews. 
12. No. <laughs> Six. No. Eight. Can you try, just call Maybe I should stop and think for a second. You should stop and think, because I am sending it to you. 20. No. <laughs> so how long do we have to do this for? Well, we need to build up a very strong connection. to move. No, no. Good. Actually, at all. I'm thinking of a number. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Nine. No. Five. No, you have to think. <laughs> I'm, trying. I'm trying to. It's two, darling. Two. It's two. Like us, a pair. Two little ducks in a pond. New Netflix movie Maestro tells the life story of legendary conductor Leonard Bernstein and wife Felicia Montalegre, played by Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan, directed by Cooper himself in a movie that was kind of passed around. Originally, Scorsese was tipped to direct it, and then Spielberg was going to. They both produced on this. Uh, off a script that he co-wrote himself with Josh Singer. The story tracks Bernstein from his first major opportunity in 1943 up as far as 1987, charting the complex relationship with him and Felicia while also engaging in a string of affairs with men. That's Leonard, not Felicia, by the way. The time-jumping element gives Cooper a chance to show so much dynamism behind the camera and the 1940s part of the movie immediately feels really exciting and urgent with an old-timey kind of theatrical slapstick energy consistent with movies of that era. It reminded me kind of of the artist which sees that fashion of filmmaking as a unique style unto itself and not just a now redundant product of its time. And the movie gradually evolves in style along with the timeline as we end up, age up the characters and Cooper and Mulligan are responsible for kind of seamlessly guiding us through that evolution. Let's not bury the lead, though. The main talking point here is the performances. Cooper here uh, has attracted a bit of controversy with people complaining about kind of uh, putting on Jew face or gay face as well. Really, people are saying that. I don't know what gay face is supposed to be, but people are, are accusing him of it. Um, but here he is actually completely unrecognizable as Bernstein. And this performance will likely, for me, if you're not offended by those things, it will elevate how you feel about him as a performer. This is very much not the Bradley Cooper performance that we're used to, where he's kind of a likable, cheeky chappy. Instead, it's about as distinct and detailed a character portrayal as you're likely to see this year, where he adds meaning, depth, nuance, and subtext, not only to every line delivery he has, but every kind of step, every blink, every drag of a cigarette. It's an absolutely astounding performance for me, if you can get past the makeup side of things. No doubt awards are very much in his near future, and I look forward to seeing him get his flowers but also don't be surprised if promising young woman star Carrie Mulligan sneaks up and ends up getting awards too because for me she's actually the star of this movie 
even though it is the Bradley Cooper show, it is Mulligan's Felicia, who is kind of the emotional pendulum that this movie swings on. And she goes beat for beat with him throughout. Only through Felicia do we really kind of appreciate the weight of Bernstein's secrets. And she shows us the weight of kind of living with it over decades too. The soft strokes that they play it with kind of opens us up to kind of asking questions of the characters. Like, is Bernstein a victim of growing up in an era not capable of understanding him? For example, when we first see him experience success, we witness him being recommended that he even just change his name so his neck to be more palatable to the world so he can understand why he would feel like his sexuality wouldn't be in the 1940s and 50s, which wouldn't really be open to that. Or is he more of a charismatic, narcissistic lawyer who forces everyone in his circle to compromise their lives to accommodate his unwillingness to live openly? Or on the flip side, is Felicia complicit in creating and protecting that bubble or is she merely a victim of his charms? And of course, there's no hard and fast answer to that. The, the answer is all of the things are somewhat true and how much you feel it is kind of up to yourself and how you perceive it. But while these questions and performances are deft, even-handed, and kind of leave it for the audience to live in and experience expertly, this is a Netflix movie after all, and like all of their awards bait movies, uh, they essentially do, do so, it does suffer f- somewhat from being really excessive and lacking discipline in an effort to kind of throw the kitchen sink at awards voters and be every kind of movie within the two plus hours that it goes on. You'd expect kind of epic conducting performances from Bernstein. And indeed, Cooper doesn't disappoint. He throws everything he has physically into them. And I came into this movie kind of wondering, because again, I wouldn't pay attention to famous conductors. Like, it's just not my thing. Um, But I was hoping the film would kind of enlighten me as to what makes someone go from being a normal conductor into being the first great American one, as they call Bernstein. And I left kind of feeling it thanks to how Cooper plays it. My only criticism of it would be that while the performances themselves are amazing in a vacuum, they don't really tie into the plot or operate as anything more than prolonged major set pieces to take us out of rather than enhance the core of the actual story itself. With musical biopics, like think, for example, of Bohemian Rhapsody. That was the first thing that came to mind for me, where the Live Aid recreation served as both an amazing set piece of cinema that you want to be in and you want to be in a big screen to witness it. But also it, it's kind of a culmination to the story where we could reappreciate the moment with the context of it being Freddie Mercury's last real major hurrah in front of the world and kind of one more chance for the world to see him at his peak after all of his health and professional struggles that had happened previously and that we knew were ahead of them in the future that isn't really here aside from the first performance serving as kind of Bernstein's breakout we don't really get any context or significance to other performances despite them again being spectacular in themselves on the other hand the movie is also incredibly capable of being disciplined at times there's a prolonged argument scene where Mulligan Cooper are kind of uh having a row and at one point like the camera just remains stationary in a room and lets them work which could have easily been filmed in a Broadway theatre like so all in all what does that contribute to there's a lot going on here 
And again, it's not one movie. There's just, again, like I said, it's the Netflix movie where they're throwing everything at it. So it is a little bit uneven. I expect it's going to get nominated for a Best Picture because it does tick a lot of the boxes. Uh, and like Best Director will probably get in there as well because he has done a lot of directing, even if it kind of uh, isn't consistent with what the movie is or even if there's not one kind of solid vision here and he's trying to do a lot here. Uh, Bo Cooper and Mulligan will be right in the mix for every actor award going and that feels right. Um, Maestro though for me is definitely worth your time. It has a limited cinema release before being available on Netflix just in time for Christmas. It is a heavy movie. There is parts where you will have a cry so just going to make sure that you're kind of in the emotional state for that. Uh, But it's worth your time. See what you think. It is for some people. It's not going to be for others but the performances are great and really worth your time seeing that. Sorry, I don't usually smoke. It's a nasty habit. That's why I like it. Not very becoming of a lady, though. Turns your teeth yellow. See? (laughs) That's cigarettes and coffee. And red wine. Oh, your teeth are perfect. I don't drink coffee, so my teeth should be fine, but they're all rotted due to my extreme propensity for sweets. Propensity for sweets. You don't get enough sweetness in your life? I just eat a lot of candy. Hmm. I wouldn't know it to look at you. You're so petite. Being tall is its advantages, of course, but those men are just too short for me. Have you noticed, or am I imagining things, that men these days are getting shorter and shorter, bolder and fatter? All the men around here are little boys. You're funny. The second Eileen, which is the new psychological thriller that author Ortesa Mosfe uh, adapted from a 2015 novel with husband William Oldroyd directing, begins. It immediately feels like a movie made in 1988 with how it's shot and with very old school title graphics, which kind of indicate a bit of a horror movie uh, element to it, which again does pay off and make more sense as you get to the end. Thomas and Mackenzie continues her rise in the titular role um, as Eileen, who's a bit of a wallflower living in a difficult home with an alcoholic ex-cop father who's played by the excellent Shay Wingham. The mundanity of her existence working in a prison in 1960s New England leaves her kind of bubbling at the surface, which is until the arrival of new psycho- psycho- psychologist Rebecca, who's played by Anne Hathaway, as a much needed kind of role model for her and that unlocks the side of Eileen that she didn't even realise existed. It's a small and really granular movie and much of the plot plays out very much on the face and within the daydreams of the fantastic Mackenzie which by the way the daydreams can be quite graphic and upsetting at times and I put a trigger warning here for anyone who's uh, sensitive to uh, graphic depictions of suicide. While we're in tune with absolutely every thought in Eileen's head, Hathaway is much more elusive and enigmatic as Rebecca. A key scene that kind of illustrates this is where the two of them are dancing in a bar. And this illustrates kind of the difference perfectly. Whereas we kind of, the camera goes in very close on Mackenzie's face and we see what Eileen's going through in that dance, but we only see the back of Hathaway's head. So we've no idea how she's feeling about it. What I really liked about this, though, is that if you were to put the plot on paper and if just explaining that to you, it's like someone's in a mundane existence and then they meet someone who's going to be a role model and they show them a whole new way of life. It sounds really kind of hopeful and optimistic and pleasant and nice. Um, But 
what I liked about it was that it's not the movie experience. Instead, there's this kind of overwhelming sense of dread constantly throughout that envelops everything that's going on and suggests you're actually heading somewhere quite dark, which you are, trust me. Um, The end of the second act, I'm not going to get into it or indicate in any way, but it takes a really, really hard left turn out of the blue. And the movie then quickly becomes something different. And again, that's kind of inspiring. There's a lot of tepid reviews for this. And I understand it. And it's not going to be for everyone. It might not be for you. But if you like hard dramatic twists, and I do personally, this probably will be for you. And I immediately sat up and was watching on the edge of my seat. But also, it might not be for some because, like, again, it it might feel to some like it turns into a completely different movie. And one person, for example, left the screening that I was in early. I personally do feel that it was able to be justified. And they left the building blocks there to justify the twist and make it make sense. Like, it's not from Dust Till Dawn, which, again, starts as a kind of crime caper and then becomes a vampire movie without any warning or any explanation or anything to do with it. It just happens. That's not what we're dealing with here. But it can be jarring and may not be for everyone, particularly as it gets into quite uh, dark territory and a really upsetting uh, subject matter around abuse that may get really uncomfortable for some to sit through in a cinema surrounded by others again if it's something that that makes you kind of upset or angry or anything like that i'd say avoid this movie this was up my alley though i like ballsy filmmaking where people are swinging and trying things even if all of it doesn't pay off i'm okay with heavy subject matters being used for plot points and i think the writing is strong enough that doesn't just use them to be shocking and the performances carried the weight of it too it was interesting with a lot to say and it felt authentic credible and respectful at the same time it is very intense, though. It's gripping on one hand, but also really uncomfortable on the other. So it may not be for you. And if you're thinking it's not, maybe just leave it. But if you're like me and you appreciate films that kind of push you and go all the way up to the line just to see what happens, there is a lot to like about Eileen, and I recommend you go see it. It's in cinemas now. Guys, usually this is the part of the show where we go into the spoiler-verse and discuss the latest episode of a TV show we're focusing on. But guys, it's it's the end of the year, and I don't know if you've noticed, there's fuck all good TV shows just left. The Slow Horses did start on Apple TV, and I am looking forward to watching that over the Christmases. But there's no real shows left for us to cover, and there's only this is the second last episode of the year. So what we're going to do is we're getting into year-end mode and we're going to discuss 2023 on the box. We're going to talk through uh, the top 10 TV shows of the year. And joining me to discuss 2023 as a whole is a man that I've spent pretty much the entirety of 2023 since he was last on the show trying to find a reason to have him back on because I enjoy his contributions so much. But he is here now. We've got him to discuss all of the TV of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the one, the only... uh, from Fan Club, Kevin Keane. Kev, you're very welcome back to uh, page 180. Great to have you back on again. Uh, and Kev, I guess the question I have for you um, is to get us kicked off. When we talk about 2023 and TV, next year might look a little bit different because the strike, I think, is going to start impacting. Even though it's coming to an end, it'll delay a lot of projects. Was 2023 a good year for TV for you? Well, first of all, hello. Thanks for having me back. Hello. It's really good to be here. <laughs> um, 2023 was a year that surprised me, I think, with how mm. good it was. There's a lot of shows that came out this year 
that I didn't really know anything about till maybe like a week or even like when it had just been released and you kind of just took a chance on it. Yeah. And I do think 2023 was, it was a strong year for season twos and threes of stuff. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, not necessarily like new shows, but like new seasons of shows. Um, So yeah, I do, I do think 2023, there was, there was at least one thing per month, I think that was top tier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this year um especially yeah well considering we did an entire 10 part uh review of 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 a particular show earlier in the year as well <laughs> which i feel we're going to be discussing more of i, I have we, a good we, we feeling made... <laughs> it might have made the list because yeah we were quite high on it when we discussed so uh yeah no i think that's a great uh description of the year um there was a lot of these on the list that yeah i either hadn't watched before or I just caught up on. Uh, there's some things that didn't make the list that I I caught up on and were pleasantly surprised. Like for example, Yellow Jackets is something that I, I just had no idea about, and then it just kind of the second season fell upon me, and I'm just like, what is this? And how did I not hear about this? So there was a lot of those kind of projects, and then stuff that Netflix as well kind of just dropped a lot of bombs, and then you're like, and then everyone on your timeline is like, what's this show? And uh, it turns yeah. out to be amazing. So yeah, I agree. It was it was a surprising year um and i think as well another kind of way i define the year is the things you wanted to hit for the most part hit and the things that you like were recommended tended to be good as well you know what i mean it was it was you know i don't know about quantity i think last year was an insane year for television in terms of like the amount of shows there just seemed to be five different amazing shows on at any stage mainly due to covid delays and so on and they were just catching up um but i think this year there was less quantity but the quality tended to be higher um we now obviously want to start talking about what shows we like. So let's get to it. Let's not yeah. fuck around and let's not waste any time. But first of all, we're just going to set the scene in some ground rules. This is about our top 10 TV shows of the year. But the phrase TV shows is deliberately vague. It doesn't all have to be uh, genre-based nerd stuff that we tend to discuss on Into the Spoilerverse. Or it doesn't have to be prestige TV dramas. You can have animated shows, comedies, documentaries, reality TV. If you want sports shows on this, that counts. It is a television show. You can stick... Match of the day in there, if you like. Uh, if it can be described <laughs> as a TV show, it counts here. We're not being too strict with the rules. The format will work like this because we are doing a list feature, but I do want to acknowledge that lists are inherently subjective and bollocks as well. If I come on here and, t- and turn around and say to you, these are conclusively the best TV shows of the year, the only thing I can do is upset you as a listener. But the subjectivity of it all and comparing notes side of things, that's quite fun and that can lead to some interesting conversations and you guys can have your own top 10 lists Well, we may kind of add to that. So that's kind of the way it is. We're not saying these are the best shows. We've just both made our own top 10 lists and these are our favourites and we don't know what the others picked, by the way. We've kept it deliberately secret until now. Also as well worth noting is this is not our full-time job, so we haven't seen every show. So if you're like, I can't believe you didn't have that show. There's only so many errors we can fit into the day and there's so many <laughs> shows we like as well so don't savage us if we haven't seen your favorite show but do reach out and give us recommendations because i got a lot of time now christmas is coming up i'm going to be doing a lot of binging i'm very happy to to start getting stuck into what i missed um the way we'll work it though is we're going to go through our list kev's going to go first and then i'm going to go 
but we only want to have one conversation about the TV show. So if Kev says one and I have it higher in my list or vice versa, we'll hold off discussing it until we get to the point of the person having it higher in their list. And then we'll do one big discussion then. In terms of spoilers, the goal of this is that if you haven't seen the show, we want to recommend it to you. We want you to go out of your, your way and over your Christmas, maybe have something cool to binge. If you have seen it, we want to try and compass why you felt it was good. Uh, so we'll refer to episodes, moments, quotes, or plot points, but we're not going to outright spoil specific things that happened or go super in-depth. So in theory, if you haven't seen the show, we're not going to be like, this person dies in episode four. Uh, and if we do have to get a bit spoilery because we can't do the conversation, we will telegraph it as well. But again, this is a relatively safe space for spoilers uh so before we get into our top 10 list i don't know about you kev i found this very difficult when i set the project i was like okay yeah 10 tv shows that'll be fine and then i went down and i'm not gonna lie i found 17 that i wanted to include in this list wow (laughs) so i do want to make some space for any honorable mentions you may have and again just kind of list them off for now and i'll tell you if i've got any of them in my uh, in my top 10 and we'll discuss it then but if not have at it so first off honorable mentions things that you perhaps wanted to make your top 10 but just didn't make the cut when you did the final list. Yeah. Um, and this is like a technicality, I suppose, that it's in an honorable mention. But the first right. off is Invincible for me because it's yeah. only four episodes so far. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It, has to, it has to be put in put in there. But we're only we were only four in and I can't comment on the entire season. I think it's going to be amazing. But yeah. it, it's just an honorable mention now for me. And it's only that reason as well. Um, Great. But it's just it's been amazing so far. Um, I've absolutely loved Invincible stuff, and I've loved season one. J.K. Simmons is up, or Omni Man's obviously been racing in Mortal Kombat one last, like two weeks ago, I think it was at this stage. And yeah. he's uh, he's incredible to play as as well. But it's just kind of getting my hype up more for the show now as well. Fair. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting where they're taking the story now with Invincible two, and it's just such a well written show. I keep recommending it to people. Um, and it's hard, I think, getting past the first episode in season one because it's a very much a generic kind of, it looks like a kid's show basically till the last mm. five minutes and then shit hits the fan and you kind of, okay, this is what the show is. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's 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 my first honorable mention. I, I, I did the exact same. And, and literally I did it for selfish reasons more so because I'm like, this makes my top 10 easier because I don't know what to do with this. So I'm like, I'm going to make yeah. my life easier and just not include it. So yeah, no, good, good call. Yeah. So um, do I, do I, do I, do I want me to just keep on going? Yeah, my honorable go for mentions it. And... Call, call out whoever, whatever your honorable mentions are, go for it. Um, Scott Pilgrim's another one. Yeah. Um, I adore that movie. Um, and when I saw the whole cast of returning, I didn't, it, the, the show kind of threw me for a loop for where it went. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because I just was just kind of expecting a very much a eight episode retelling of the story, but maybe with more detail. Um, and they completely flipped it on its head for, for what it was. And it was refreshing to kind of see these characters back in a, um, just in different situations and a different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, just just kind of different interactions with each other as well. Like people that might not have interacted in the movie get to interact more now. Um, and I thought it was a really well told story about um, just kind of growing up a bit, mm. which I don't think the movie really nailed at the end. Like you don't really feel like at the end yeah. of the movie, Scott's not exactly, I don't feel like he's learned his lesson that much. Yeah. 
Agreed. He kind of gets away with a lot of shit in that. Um, so yeah, I think uh, the show was a much more mature way of telling the story, I think, as well. And it was good getting it from um, from the perspective of... Uh, fuck, why is my mind gone black? <laughs> from, <laughs> from Ramona. Characters. From, yeah, yeah. from, from yeah. Ramona and then from the, from the exes then as well and kind of getting to know the exes a bit more too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's honorable mention number two for me. Um, I don't know if it's in your list at all. No, but, uh, I had it as an honorable mention as well. No, yeah. 100%. Yeah, agreed. I discussed it there uh, last week as well. So if you want to go back, check out my review. It's up there. Uh, work away. But yeah, I felt the same. I loved it. Do you know what? The only reason I think it didn't make the top 10 is because it's so recent. And I think I'm still processing it. I think if it was six months ago and I thought about it for the past six months, it may have cracked the top 10. But I'm still yeah. kind of, it's still fresh to me. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I had it as an honorable mention. Yeah, interesting. We're getting the same amount of mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, third one is Shrinking on Apple TV. Ooh, no, I don't have it uh, anywhere. I haven't watched it. Shrinking is Shrinking is very very good. It's it's um, Harrison Ford in that show. It's he looks like he's just having fun doing kind of a comedy show. Like it's a nice. comedy drama show with um with Harrison Ford and jason oh my god why is my mind going blank <laughs> jason siegel in it as well um and they're therapists and it's mm. um it's a nice it's kind of like a ted lasso kind of vibe of it. it's a nice show um it's 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 got its dramatic moments but for the most part it's a kind of a nice feel good kind of show um nice. that i would recommend if you've not seen it if you're a fan of ted lasso i would recommend shrinking a lot um right. and i think it's getting a season two now as well i hope it does anyway but uh yeah that's that's my Last honorable mention, I I had 13. I didn't I think I watched more movies and TV shows this year. Okay, interesting. Um, um I'm yeah. I, I'm a loser. I, I I watch like so many, like this is what I do. So like I'm like <laughs> I've uh, I've a freakish <laughs> amount, and these are just the ones that are the honorable mentions. This isn't even to watch Invincible. We already discussed a Black Mirror as well, which I always love a Black Mirror season. It wasn't the strongest season, but I I, yeah. I, I still love it. Like the worst Black Mirror episode is better than most. Uh, normal TV episodes. Uh, so again, this wasn't the strongest season, but again, a lot of the concepts stuck with me, particularly the Aaron Paul episode. Uh, really, really liked it. Yeah. And uh, Jane Hates You as well, already kind of something that, uh, in that typical, uh, or Everybody Hates Jane, I think it is, uh, the one where yeah. it's essentially yeah, they yeah. make a document, they make an, a live action TV show on her life. Um, it's something that, in that really mad Black Mirror way, as so often has happened, they release a TV, they release a, an episode, and then a couple of months later, it's being talked about that Netflix actually do want to do that with the writer strike, um, yeah. use AI, so uh, personalized catered TV shows about its viewers. Um, so like, yeah, scary and and very prescient. <laughs> I have Hijack on Apple TV, uh, a really really fun watch uh, that snuck up on me. Uh, very very good. Um, it was essentially just a vehicle for Idris Elba on TV, which he hasn't had that many TV hits when you think about it. He tends to be more of a movie guy. Um, but but it's always on the plane, is it? Yes, and yeah. just gripping. It just like it's a very <laughs> simple concept, and they just do it really well. Uh, I loved it, but again, like again, when you think of kind of the ones that they have, just gave me a bit more joy on the top ten list. Uh, Silo, another Apple TV project, is also in there. Uh, the first season released uh, this uh, month. It was essentially uh, based on a bunch of short stories, and they just kind of uh, stretched it out into a TV show. Uh, very intriguing. I 
love those kind of like Lost is one of my favorite TV shows ever, and any mm-hmm. show that kind of encourages theory crafting and the likes, and this does very well. It also has it starts with a bottle episode, which essentially doesn't kind of it, it sets the scene for the world, but the characters you fall in love with aren't the characters you spend the show with, which uh, kind of reminds me of a, a show about I know about like Mythic Quest. Do you know where they have like yes. the one episode in the series that decides to be the best episode on television, and then they get yeah. back to having like a it reminded me of that where it's like this is just an incredible episode of television um but they managed to kind of keep it even when they got to the actual story they managed to keep it exciting and fun uh the bad batch season two uh it's not the last star wars property that i will discuss on this list you can probably guess what it is if you follow the show that i will discuss uh but the bad batch season two i loved it i think you're missing a trick if you aren't following the animated star wars stuff it's doing a lot of good and it's the only kind of project at the moment that's kind of um fitting in the era of the timeline that it is. It's filling in the blanks immediately after the prequel trilogy. So not close to the sequel trilogy. It's kind of start and not even close to the likes of Andor. So it's a blank slate of period in the Star Wars universe. They did so well this year to kind of build up the characters because the first season was good but you're still getting used to the characters and it's not the characters we know from the animated properties and kind of just adjusting to them and adapting. And we we know them now, we love them and they really did a lot of good work. And of course, there's a lot of episodes because it's animated. Scott Pilgrim takes off, we already discussed. Poker Face uh, was one that I really, really loved. Um, it, Essentially, uh, a mystery of the week, really old school type show. Uh, almost Columbo slash Murder She Wrote, like Natasha Leone, who people will know from American Pie or Orange is the New Black essentially gets her own show and I don't feel like any of us were expecting that because she was kind of a you know, a, a, an an extra character, more a character actor who was kind of a background noise uh, for other shows. Uh, but she, she like, we all love her. Anyone who watches loves her. Uh, her kind of playing a Columbo person who goes around solving mysteries and murders and stuff like that. Really, really fun, really creative. And because as well, they were kind of doing um, just individual separate episodes. You do have to watch them in the order because there is like kind of a, a running thread. Um, but the episodes themselves are individual. And if you watch it once, you can go back and kind of check pick episodes that you liked but they get amazing uh, guest stars in there you have to like say Joseph Gordon-Levitt you have Benjamin Bratt uh, Simon Helberg Adrian Brody uh, there's just a murderer's row of cast there because they're only coming in for one episode so it's schedule friendly the last one is one that I was determined to fit on here but I just couldn't and it breaks my heart <clears throat> Abbott Elementary Season 2 absolutely love it and in a world where I'm a big proponent of saving comedy and like keeping good comedy uh, on the air. There are a lot there and, and we're losing a lot of kind of genuinely funny comedies now at the moment. Quinta Brunson has come along with this story. If you've never seen Abbott Elementary, it's essentially just uh, a kind of uh, modern family style mockumentary comedy uh, based around uh, a school uh, with uh, like black children and teachers and everything set in Philadelphia. And it kind of, it tells like the social side of it, like as well, like it does tell a really good social story and, and there is like emotional beats there, but it is just a fucking funny show so if you're looking for a good comedy over Christmas you cannot go wrong with Abbott Elementary I was devastated I couldn't get it into my top 10 but I do have a common uh, I do have a comedy in there that I liked better so that was what ultimately won it so they are my honorable mentions time for us to get into the meat and potatoes again what we're going to do is Kev I'll just ask you to name 
the number 10 on your list and I will tell you if it is on my list or not on my list uh, and if it's not we'll have a chat about it if it is we'll wait until it kind of gets higher on the list so Kev in at number 10 for you uh, hit me with it I don't know what this is I'm so excited uh, my number 10 is Ted Lasso Ooh, okay three. okay it's not yeah. on my list Intra- yeah I know and I, I do you know what it was just because I was, <laughs> I was nearly struggling to make this list I was like did I watch this much TV <laughs> over the over the year? But uh, Ted Lasso is up there, mo- and I know it was like the weaker season. I think of all the three seasons, but um, I think from what was good in it was great in it, mm. um, and it's I think it just it finished off the story for the most part in a really kind of quite a satisfying way for for most of the characters mm. too. Um, I loved Jamie and Roy's relationship in it. I thought the those their their bromance essentially <laughs> that kind of happened was great um and yeah it was just it was just a, it's it's a comfort show for me um and when it was on uh i can't remember if i was just feeling kind of particularly maybe down around that time of the year but it was just a saving grace every week of having that to look forward to nice. um because it's just a lovely nice show to watch man and it's just uh yeah it's just feel good man okay i i, I don't disagree and and kind of I remember I discussed it with Tom Pot at when the season yeah. ended and we weren't big on the show, either of us. But at the same time, I didn't feel that while I was watching it. I get what you're saying. Every episode had its funny moments and every yeah. episode kind of enjoyed it. But I guess the one thing that kind of held back for Ted Lasso for me, and I don't want to say that I, I disagree with this pick. It, it's fine um, because it was enjoyable. Like I think back to moments like... Uh, Jamie uh, trying to teach Roy how to ride a bike. And that was fucking yeah. hilarious. There were some, Yeah, there were some great moments and great <laughs> episodes. But it was kind of like, I just had higher expectations for Ted Lasso that it's kind of half comedy, half almost a prestige TV show because it kind of sold Apple TV at the start. Um, yeah. And this just felt like more of an incidental comedy season. And again, if I just, if this was season one, I'd probably be a much bigger fan, but I just know how good and intricate the storytelling could be. Like even when you look at season two and the twist, but how well that t- twist had been kind of telegraphed subtly throughout the series and how much it devastated and hit us that's what the show was capable of and I felt it felt short of that so I think I speak more to my disappointment of it when I say that season three just didn't hit the mark for me but on a week-to-week basis I really enjoyed watching it and I know a lot of people who by the time season three had rolled around were big fans and watched it every week and we came into work or we're in group chats or whatever and we discussed it fondly you know what I mean we enjoyed it but again, when you kind of step back to evaluate it, I think it was when me and Tom were chatting, we we're like, I didn't realize, both of us were like, I didn't realize I didn't like this show that much. <laughs> Only when we tried to almost discuss it and evaluate it, then it's like, oh yeah, they kind of, they kind of fucked this one. But again, I think it was rushed. It. That is, yeah. that is, that is the main problem of that last season. I think the, the, where they wanted, they knew where they wanted to get to and they only had a certain amount of time to do it. And I kind of felt like, some of the redemption arcs might have been a bit rushed. Yeah, but, like it felt contractual. Like it felt like we'll only have this season of actors for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas they probably could have done it. If they're at the pace of the other seasons, they probably would have taken two or three seasons to get what they got yeah. in. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I do. I agree with that. But again, I, not not bad. Yeah, I think I just, I, I any time I get to spend with those characters, yeah. I just, I love. I know? agree. 
I agree. Um, I agree. Not a bad choice. In at number 10 is what for me is one that I feel that you may have on your list because I know this is something that we both absolutely love. I have okay. it's always sunny in Philadelphia, season 16. It is on my list as well, but it's further up. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> we will hold our fire then, okay? So we'll hold on. I knew that was gonna be on your list, you know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and I debated putting it higher, but and, and I feel like after I talk about it, I will like it. Uh, something we haven't actually got to discuss. We were talking about discussing it earlier in the year, but then it kind of re- was really rushed and it came out during the actor strike, so they didn't really announce it or promote it when it was released over here. So we didn't really get a chance there. So I'm looking forward to discuss that. So we'll move on then to your number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh what have you got? My number nine's a recent one. It's okay. quite a recent one, but I really I enjoyed the because <laughs> it's a very contrived show. Bodies on Netflix. Okay. I haven't seen this, so recommend it to me. This might be something that I watch because I know a few people who have seen it. It's um yeah, so the whole the premise of this show is it takes place in four different timelines. Um there's like the 1890, there's one in um or in 1941, there's one in present day and then there's one in the future then as well. And basically what happens, it's four detectives in these four different time periods. They find the same body with the same mark, with the same wound on them. Um, and it's them figuring out how is a, how is everything here connected, basically. Right. Um, it's Some of it is, it, there's, there's plot holes in this thing to bits, man, but sometimes you just have to roll with some of the bullshit. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, because it, it, it reminded me, it's an absolutely brilliant cast of mostly unknowns by Stephen Graham, um, who's in it as well. He's just excellent in nearly everything that he's in, uh, in my opinion. But most of it's just unknowns, but it's a very, it's a it's a British and Irish cast for the most part. And the two, I think it's very well acted. It's, um, it's just a bit different. And it's one of those shows that I kind of, I was discussing this yesterday as well. It's one of those shows that I kind of feel it takes a swing. It doesn't necessarily uh, hit on everything, but it's different enough to be like, well, at least you tried something a bit different there and you kind of, you went just kind of all out with it. Now it is based on a graphic novel and I know the graphic novel is very different to how the show actually is, mm. but um, they've taken a lot of liberties in it. But I think uh, it's it's definitely worth a watch in my opinion now as well, just because of how strange and weird it is. Okay, multiple timelines. I like uh, shows yeah. that take a swing and take a risk, and some of it doesn't work. I'm into those shows. I like the risky ones. So and a solid murder mystery, like as well. So yeah, yeah. you may have sold good. it to me. You may have sold it to me. <laughs> Similarly, in a, my number nine is something where it's not a murder mystery because they take the mystery element out of it in episode one. It's a Netflix show though, and there is murder involved. Maybe something you have as well. I might have. I have a feeling. I feel I have, like I know what it is. The Fall of the House of Usher. That's way up higher my list. Okay, okay, okay. Exciting. We're two for two now. <laughs> okay, interesting. Right. Okay, so we have two more to have really meaty discussions around. So we'll move back yeah. on to your number eight. My number eight, you actually mentioned it in your honorable mentions, was Black Mirror. Um, okay. I love I, anything in the Black Mirror universe. Like you said earlier as well, even if it's bad, it's usually better than a lot of stuff that's on TV. Mm-hmm. Um. I loved, yeah, the Everybody Hates Jane um, was as such a weird episode as well to kind of, it was very meta kind of episode as well. I loved that. I loved the 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 AI commentary that was on that as well. That was brilliant. Mm. But what I really loved in that in that season, uh, bar the, uh, the Aaron Paul episode being great, was the Red Mirror one at the end of it, the more horror style yes. episode. 
Yes. I absolutely adored that. And I think the setting of it in like the 1970s England, yeah. um, they nailed the aesthetic of everything. And I love, um, it just it was just such a throwback to those kind of 70s kind of weird as fucks horror movies. Though, so. mm. um, and they kind of followed through with just the ending of it as well. They kind of followed through with what they kind of promised. Um, yeah. as the ending of that, so I don't want to give away any spoilers if you've not seen no, it, but um, yeah, Black Mirror, man, it's every every like I know the season before that wasn't amazing with the uh, what was it, the Miley Cyrus episode mm. and the Toe for Grace one as well, but I thought this was a great return to form for Black Mirror. Um, and it's always brilliant seeing actors like Aaron Paul, um, and then they got like Selma Hayek and stuff as well in the uh, in the first episode too, just these big actors coming in and having fun with 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 the the material that they're kind of given as well mm. um so yeah black mirrors black mirrors up in my number seven pick uh number eight i'm right inside that yeah <laughs> uh no number seven oh, oh, sorry number eight number eight you're, yeah, you're, okay you're right, yeah. <laughs> i'm like okay, <laughs> this one okay good yeah. uh demon 79 is the last episode i loved it uh i want to before people start shouting at us i want to correct us we, I, this was on me uh it was joan is awful not everyone hates jane sorry whoever you are oh, jane. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> it's joan who joan 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 um, yeah Locked Shows in as well was a really good the Scottish mystery one with uh, what's his name at a Game of Thrones in it. Um, oh, pod. It? Yes, pod. <laughs> brilliant. And such a different role as well. Um, yeah. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Black Mirror is, it's great. Uh, and you know what? I actually, unpopular opinion here. I liked the Miley Cyrus episode. I thought she was really, really good. I like seeing her acting and I liked the fact that you're like, there was a there was an authenticity to her episode. I know it's not this season, but from the last mm. one, there was an authenticity to her episode that I'm like, there's obviously a lot of it isn't true to life. It's a Black Mirror episode, but there are elements of it that you could tell she pulled from her real life to make it work. So while the concept itself might have been a bit too ambitious and a bit of a reach, um, I thought she made it credible and authentic and I really enjoyed her performance mm. in it. So, uh, yeah, but like we said, even a bad Black Mirror episode, usually better than a lot of good ones. In a number eight, I think we haven't discussed this ever and I feel like we would have. So I feel this isn't something you've watched. I'm going to take, I'm going to deviate a little bit from scripted TV shows. I'm going to go to some reality TV. And in my number eight is the reboot of Big Brother. I'm gonna think. I don't think we discussed this, so I'm gonna assume. No, you didn't watch it. I've 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 oh. been listening to you doing it, Daph. Okay, <laughs> discussing it in the podcast. Though. Okay, I am a total old school Big Brother fanboy. It was like appointment viewing for me the first seven or eight years of its run until yeah. Davina left, basically. Um, and I even went for it at one stage. I I now was a terrible audition. I didn't. I got nowhere, but I just wasted a day in a queue, basically. Um, but I think. <laughs> spending COVID watching old clips on TikTok left myself another really thirsty for another run and I'm yeah. so happy that ITV delivered in the reboot the cast they found were spot on they were the perfect blend of like entertaining enough to be on TV and make good television without being too attention seeking or fame hungry or try hard which ruined a lot of the later series as people were getting on just for exposure or, or, or whatever it was really super diverse as well which kind of reflected today's world but also left enough difference to kind of surprise you with friendships that happened or also just create conflict which made for great tv um <laughs> it was the perfect length at six weeks it never outstayed its welcome and every night it felt like they had 
a brand new way to kind of twist and turn the housemates in such a way that you and like the people I discussed it with found themselves constantly changing who we liked constantly. Our, our power rankings were going up and down and going mental, which is what you want. My only concerns were minor nitpicks. Like I didn't like the voting system, which I felt could and can't still be manipulated and prejudiced like by bad face operators. Um, I think the early departures of trans candidate Hallie and uh, Trish, who like spoke about race quite a lot as well, uh, touched a few nerves, I think, showed as much. And keep in mind, that was before Trish's old school um, social media post resurfaced. Plus, early on, it took me a good while to warm up to kind of Will Best and AJ Adodu as the host, but they actually won me over by the end. And I even found myself watching the late and live complimentary show that they host every night. Uh, what I love most, though, was the conversations that started. Twitter, I'm not calling it X, is a dumpster fire these days. And none of the proposed replacements, like Blue Sky, I'm on, like I have like two followers, it's tragic. Um, but no, because. <laughs> No one's on it yet. Um, Treads we don't have over here, and apparently it's not that great anyway. Um, so there's nothing really. There's a void there, but it actually became fun to use Twitter and tweet every night during it again and constantly texting and voice messaging my friends about the latest developments. I'm delighted it's back, and I cannot wait for Celebrity Big Brother this year. So that's my number eight, Big Brother. I absolutely loved it. We'll move on to your number seven now. My number seven is a comedy show, but it's not sunny though as well. Okay. Um, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson, season three. Okay, I don't I think haven't I've ever seen, seen it. that show. No. Oh man, I highly, highly recommend okay. this show. It's a, it's very alternative sketch comedy. Um, season, yeah, season. He used to be, on, he was on SNL, I think, around the time twenty ten ish when like Sudeikis and Bill Hader and all them were on on SNL. Um, and he was only on it for a season or two and they let him go and like their loss is is our is our win here because like he got off he goes he was offered his own like netflix show just to do um just to do first first sketches and season one took off so well um he's on he's up on season three now as well but the best thing about this show is it's it's the the, the, the sketches are brill mm. but in social media now as well and tiktok and any any like uh instagram reels there's something from this show. It's just become so memed. Um, it's it's really kind of broke through from the show and into like proper pop culture and meme culture as well. Mm. Um, and I think it's if you're into like yeah, if you're into sketch comedy in general, I think you should like it. But especially weird alternative sketch comedy, um, I'd highly highly recommend it. And they're only about like. 15 to 18 minutes long per episode they're not like crazy long episodes so you can kind of just get a feel of 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 what uh um if you, if you like it or not then as well i think if, after an episode or two and if you don't like it you haven't wasted that much time i suppose but um i i absolutely adore the show nice. um and i would highly highly recommend man yeah it's on my list it's been on my list for a while but it's just getting <clears> around to it but yeah you're selling me well 15 minute episodes as well i love local middle comedy shows where I can just throw on the background while I'm having dinner, you know what I mean? And 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 so on. Just fill up the, the little gaps in the day. Um so yeah, I think I'm gonna check that out. I think I'm gonna give that a go over Christmas. Uh big uh yeah big uh, I'm into a lot of now, it is it's it's weird as shit by the way. But... I love weird. I love weirdness. <laughs> yeah. Give me all the weirdness in the world. Love it. Yeah. Uh, like big... they've they've a they've they've a sketch on it where it's like the bachelor but he's just obsessed. He's a contestant that's obsessed with just the zip line. 
okay. part that's in the house and that's all is that's all he does and he's getting called out on it uh and it's just fucking brilliant <laughs> okay okay interesting right i'm very intrigued i think you should leave i'm gonna check that out yeah. in my number seven i think yeah. this may surprise people who listen to the show that this is this low what i want to clarify is this isn't low because i think any less of it i love every show on this list I just adored the ones that are ahead of it. And it's what I know you watch. So it may be on your list. I'm not 100% sure. I have (laughs) Ahsoka in a number seven. Ahsoka is in my list as well. It's a bit higher though. Okay. Okay. Intriguing. That's mad. Like I'm the, I'm the like Ahsoka and Rebels obsessive (laughs) and you have a higher in your list. I don't know. That's a bit of a twist, but I like it. Okay. Fair enough. We will discuss uh, shortly after we discuss your number seven. Number seven. So sunny season 16. Yes. Let's do this. Uh, yeah, what a return to form again from from the last seasons too. Like the they were they were dipping a little bit and it kind of do you ever like be watching a comedy show and you know it's funny but you're not laughing out loud. Yeah, season sixteen it has made me proper laugh out loud again. <laughs> yes, yes, um, I absolutely adore. Like, is it, and it's like the first episode when Max doesn't realize he's allergic to nuts for the entire episode <laughs> is just gold to me. It's peak sunny for me. <laughs> like, yes um yeah some of the topics that like just inflation being one of the topics um was just it was just such a great uh a great um kind of introduction to the new season as well mm. everybody just feels like they're back on form again too the writing is just on point um and they're even taking stories i think that were like they're fairly real because like i listen to the stony podcast as well and i suppose their writing process is quick enough in their filming process too that they can kind of touch on stories that are not that old yet as well yeah um like the frank versus russia episode <laughs> was was based on a real life thing that only happened like a couple of months ago in a chess championship <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is one of my favorite episodes as well um with the new dennis system as well the sin system too uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's, just oh, it's so good <laughs> <laughs> um and then what was the episode as well the um where it's like it's it's risky. Is it risky rats? Risky rats. Yes. Risky uh, rats. Phenomenal yeah. episode too. <laughs> Loved it. Um, and then yeah, just Dennis has a ment- Dennis takes a mental health day. Is like we're in our mid thirties. So relatable. Yes. <laughs> I'm not messing, right? So our our, our mutual friend, Order Kev, uh, Ballymun Bruiser, who we covered obviously the Last of Us with earlier in the year. Um, I texted him after watching that and I'm like tell me you watched and he goes yes and I'm aware that that's me (laughs) 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 because it is and I'm not messing with you right we we went to Wembley okay and we're in the airport we're going to the AEW show in Wembley and we're in the airport in the morning and he comes back from the bar and he's like you have to get a fucking app to download this and to get this and get this I'm like Dennis takes a mental health day he goes fuck (laughs) <laughs> it, I've seen it happen. It is literally, here, but yeah, incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah, my uh, one thing about the season is the order of the episodes. I don't think I would have finished the season on that one. Okay, I think I would have finished it on something f- more fun, like the bowling episode, maybe. Right. Um, but that's the only kind of real nitpick I think I have with with that season. To be for me, that every episode in it was pretty much gold. Yeah. 
yeah, they nailed it. They absolutely destroyed it. We're obviously huge Sunny fans. One of the highlights of my year was getting to the attend always Sunny podcast and Tree Arena, which you were there the same night as yeah. well. Obviously, um, return to form was the exact words I used to this as well. It was I put up this up there with any of the. Uh, best series in like 18 years now they've been doing this and this is up there with any of the best series every episode knocked it out of the park the Brian Cranston episode Frank shoots every member of the gang as well <laughs> <laughs> Man, just kill me just kill me just leave him and the rats to eat or some kids to find it'd be disgusting <laughs> and it Brilliant. just pans out you think they're alone on the beach and it pans out and it's packed <laughs> <laughs> incredible incredible stuff and like like you said I, I I don't, it wasn't the Sunny was necessarily going downhill. They just ran for 15 seasons and eventually yeah. you have to run out of jokes and content. And like, but I think everyone involved is so funny and gets what makes the show work at such a fundamental level that similar to Black Mirror, even the worst episodes are still going to give you a few laughs. But like you say, there's a difference between going <laughs> and the belly laughs that the best episodes yeah. give you. Um but it felt like kind of the days of the killer episodes that we used to get, like the Night McCummit and all the all the all the classics that we think of. Uh Mac and Dennis living together as well, like all of them. Um, like it felt like you'd have to re-watch them and we wouldn't be getting any new more. But I think them having the podcast and kind of recording episodes while they were writing and in production for this season and looking back on the Hall of Fame episodes, I think that really helps them find that edge again because I think it brought totally them agree, back yeah. to their mindset. And you could feel that because it felt like like they not only kind of brought back classic characters and kind of running gags from older seasons that they had talked about in the show, um, it felt like they got their, mo- their mojo back. And this was classic Sonny. It wasn't afraid. Because I think part of what, like this has been, and again, this year I'm rejoicing because we're getting so many good comedy shows and we're getting kind of a return to kind of the unsafe comedy movies that we haven't gotten in a few years. Because I think comedians and, and comedy writers are afraid now with so many changes in the culture and you can't say this and you can't say that. And they're afraid to of what they can and can't do. So there may be error on the side of caution. And I think Sonny suffered from that a little bit. Like, do you could hear them even trying to, they had full episodes where they're like, no, you can't say this. Instead, you have to say that. And it kind of felt like they were a bit, and, and what made Sonny so, like the first episode, the t- first time we meet these characters, they're being blatantly racist. <laughs> like, and it's yeah. like, oh my God, <laughs> this show says the quiet part loud. And like, again, doesn't say that it's right, but shows how disgusting these people are. And that's the point of it. Um, They let our characters be so scumbags again. Like the Five Nights of Freddy episode we discussed, like they injure a lot of children in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also felt like they just took the safety wheels off and weren't trying to pander their humor at all or keep it acceptable or avoid controversy. They just went for it. And that's why we're here and we love the show. Dennis takes a mental health day. For me, I, I got why that was the last episode because these days with the newer series, they like to finish on a flourish. Like if you think of the, the finale where they had Mac dancing, where like they referred to yeah. that again in this series where it's like, no, I get the Frank is like, <laughs> I get the gay thing. Matt did the dance. I get the gay thing now. <laughs> Brilliant. But like they finish on those set piece episodes. So I kind of got why that was. But for me, this was like just a mic drop. This was like, this is an all-timer episode. This is one of the best in there. Maybe among my top 10 favorites on the episodes of all time. And it is just fantastic and so fucking good to have Sonny back at its peak. Again, 
18 years and 16 seasons in. And now I'm just like, yeah, we're back. Se- season 17, give me give, give me all of it. Yeah. I'm very, very happy. Um, so yeah, always sunny, incredible. You're dead right as well about, I think, the podcast reigniting their love. Mm. They also brought back older writers as well, though, from like the, the peak kind of season seven, eight, nine um, seasons as well. Yeah. So they brought back their old writers again. And then you could like with Dennis takes a mental health day. That's actually an episode of the podcast where he that happened to him in real life, where he got locked out of his car. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's clearly based on that. Like, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're writing it while they're doing the podcast. So, yeah. Like, I, I, I fully believe that we're going to get an episode where Mac tries getting a fight with someone in a parking space. You know what I mean? Because that was the episode <laughs> yeah. of the podcast as well. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, they're doing it. And I'm like, this is, this is great. This is amazing stuff. Delighted to have Sonny back. Um, mm. Great, great shout in at your number six. My number six, I have, it's another Netflix show. Netflix doing quite well this year. Um, You might have it on yours. Uh, Beef. No, that's not on my list. Oh, have seen you it seen though. it? Oh no. my God, treat yourself. It is brilliant. <laughs> it's from A24, uh, who again, like all the mental movies, like if you're you're talking everything everywhere all at once is the big one uh, of the past couple of years, obviously won the Oscar last year. But again, like Dream Scenario, Nicolas Cage, uh, the recent one about everyone dreaming about him, Bo is Afraid, Joaquin Phoenix won this year, which is insane. Um, the talk to me was a twenty four. Talk to me was a twenty four. A twenty four. They're just knocking it out of the park for weird alt content, and it's fantastic. This is uh, Stephen Young and Ali Wong. Uh, basically, it starts with the two of them having a road rage incident, and it just like they they just become rivals, and they just start taking their shit out on each other, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It was like you said at the start, it was one of those where it just showed up in my Netflix one day and someone's like, watch Beef, it's amazing. And then I did and it was like, holy fucking crap. Um, <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, it's like a tidal wave getting caught in it by surprise. It just grabs you and doesn't put it down until it's finished with you. Stephen Young continue to show he's an absolutely limitless actor uh, in the lead as Danny and he's always kind of one slide away from a complete rage induced breakdown there's a bit of Dennis Reynolds to him in that sense as well like he has that where he could just go insane and murder everyone at any second while his chemistry with Ali Wong is absolutely crackling throughout uh, from the moment they meet in the series opening it manages to kind of be hilarious while also being profound and in true A24 fashion, it kind of tells a really meaningful, hard-hitting and relatable story, but in the most mental way about kind of the dangers of unchecked mental health issues. Uh, and it's But it's just so bonkers and imaginative throughout. The last two episodes, though, are next level. Uh, for a show that is currently permanent, it, it is permanently dialed up to 11, literally from the cold open. Uh, it escalates things to 12 for the penultimate episode. As the stakes get, like, farcical, you're like, how has this gotten here this is insanity <laughs> but it's just the nature of the show and by that stage you're just bought in that you just go with it and let them take you on their trail ride but then you do that episode and you're like what do they have left and then they take a gigantic swing with the finale and essentially do a bottle episode that essentially steps away from the storylines that has spent the entire series building up and just sticks builds uh, like it focuses solely on the relationship of our two main characters their needs and their motivations and what essentially amounted to kind of a wild fever dream it reminded me a lot of some of the weirder elements of everything everywhere all at once in, in just an episode of television it was amazing it was gutsy and it totally paid off and in a year where the netflix brand has taken a bit of a battering 
for kind of producing, well, like not just this year, but like in recent years, kind of producing quantity over quality. Uh, this was a much needed win and a throwback to a time when Netflix was on the cutting edge of creating fresh, thought-provoking projects to set it apart from traditional TV. Do you remember those days when Netflix would make something and it's like, oh, this isn't the same. This is different. Streaming is actually the future. Um, yeah. And we've got away from that a bit, but this reminded me of that and it was really, really good. Beef, I cannot recommend it enough. That's my number six. I will get started on that tonight. That's a Gross very glowing and, recommendation. And it's, it's the type of one, it's only like, I think it's like 10 episodes, but it's like 30, 35 minute episodes as well. But it's like a drama. It's not It's not a full comedy. It's very, very funny, but um, it's, it's 30, 35 minutes. It's so disciplined and, and just cuts the fat yeah. and, and just really draws you in. It's the type of show you could watch it in like one or two sittings because it's that like addictive. You'll just keep going next episode, next episode, next episode. It's really fucking good. Um. That's my number six. In at your number five. Uh, my number five is Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Okay, go for yeah. it. You're, I'm obviously a big Ahsoka fan. Uh, I was big into Rebels. We covered it here on the show. People have heard a lot from me on it. One thing I constantly was checking in on throughout our discussions, though, was is this hitting for people who haven't watched Rebels? And I know from us discussing it like privately throughout the series, you hadn't watched Rebels. So I find no. it really interesting and it makes me really happy that you have it higher on your list than I did as the big Rebels fan who loved this show also. So talk to me about that experience of having not watched anything. Did it make sense to you? Like what? what talk to me about all of that. I thought they did a really good job of kind of establishing kind of what was going on, the the, the dynamic in the team. Um, and I think not because like I've this is like good looking back at it like retro retroactively now as well with the um with the with the mystery of of, of Ezra then as well. Like I didn't know anything about him. So mm. when it finally does get to him and you kind of they kind of show off what he can actually do then as well. Um, I thought that was a great payoff for me because I did I wasn't aware of of what happened to him really in the story, and mm. I thought that was a really intriguing thing that kind of made me keep wanting to come back. Um, I thought Tron as well didn't know anything about him either, um, and I thought his his presence and was it Mads Mads Mikkelsen as well, wasn't it that plays him? Uh, Lars Mikkelsen, um, his brother. No, so Lars, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought he was great. Um, very, very commanding presence on the screen. You're very intimidating. Um, I loved his what was his 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 gold commander guard as well? The, this fucking sick gladiator I face. I remember, yeah, I know who you're um, talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think it begins with E, yeah. But, um, I thought like the, the aesthetics of the show and seeing some of the stills then from the animated show and how they brought it to to real life because I know Ahsoka shows up in The Mandalorian as well. Mm. Um, and even at that as well, in The Mandalorian. Didn't know who Tron was when she's like, "Where's, where's, uh, Grand Animal Tron in in the Mandalorian?" Um, didn't know anything about him as well. So like seeing that one episode of the Mandalorian paying off for this now as well, mm. um, I thought was great. Um, okay, I loved all the characters. Um, I loved. I also loved hearing week to week you and Jerry discuss <laughs> it as well because you're nice. like two little kids, <laughs> like, just absolutely geeking out and being so excited that there's this animated show that you adore and they're doing it justice as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was that was actually to be fair as well. Like maybe that's why it's up higher on my list. Is listening to you guys discuss it every week. I think was great too. Oh. Um, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's my opinion. And plus, I just I love being in the Star Wars universe. 
Mm. Um, when they're doing it properly, they're doing it right. When the writing's good, um, and Dave Filoni is just a genius at what he does. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and like I know there was it. It is like you said in the in the podcast as well that this is essentially season five of of Rebels. Um. But it's all it's done is made me kind of want to go back and actually look at Rebels now. That that was my so question. It's, it's, is it's done its job. Do you, do you think that that's something that <clears throat> you will go and do, or do you think that like you're if you didn't do it, you'd be like, no, I'll just watch season two. I get it. I'm caught up. I, I know all the main beats. Like I've kind of, you know, you've listened to our show or maybe done a bit of your own research and you're kind of like, I'm good. Do you think that it is something that you'll actually do go back and, and watch? Cause that was my big thing. Cause it, it does add a lot. Like it's a Christmas thing for me. I think Star Wars is very Christmassy for me. So I think over the Christmas break, I'll probably end up at least starting it anyway. Okay. Um, and, and knowing me get completely addicted to it and it'll take over my life. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting on. I want to, I want to check in. I want to know uh, how that's going for you. Amazing. Really interesting to hear. And, and that makes me so happy. Um, mm. hearing all of that as well. Um, Obviously, look, I came to this with an almost unhealthy level of hope and expectation, given that it seemed to set itself up as the sequel to Rebels, which, again, is one of my all-time favorite pieces of Star Wars IP and made me a true Dave Filoni believer and fanboy. But also, I wanted this to be good and I needed it to be good because it was coming off the back of a few projects that made Filoni and John Favreau seem a bit mortal. Like, the new Mandalorian series doesn't even come close to this list i didn't even consider it um as well as the book Shit, of that was this year as well wasn't it yeah yeah and that's the thing it's just it's, didn't, it, just, what, it wasn't even in an honorable mention for no, me fuck. Nothing. <laughs> didn't even think about it i thought about it and i'm like i'm not no i've, I've no willingness it's nowhere near these tv shows even the honorable mentions um yeah. which is a shame uh because it was one of the shows we covered throughout the year all I wanted with this, though, was just uh, literally what I said was all I want is a live action sequel that gave me answers to the questions that Rebels left open. That was exactly what I got. So I was happy. Was it perfect? No. You could nitpick aspects of it to death. And unfortunately, I think what knocked it down on the list a little bit for me again wasn't even to do with the show, but it was because you could nitpick aspects. It set off some of the more toxic elements of the Star Wars fandom, which really hampers my overall enjoyment of Star Wars sometimes. And in hindsight, though, the only thing I'm kind of disappointed about now, the only thing that actually bothers me about it and that I don't love was they didn't have Zeb in it, who was the guy who appeared in The Mandalorian as a CGI uh, yeah. Lasat. So you'll get to know Zeb, trust me, um, because they can't do season two without him. Um, and they did mention him throughout. Uh, but And season two as well now is going to happen. Now Filoni has been named Chief Content Officer of Lucasfilm. I know that's not official, but this is his baby. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's, it's going to happen. But Shout out as well to, to, to Ray Stevenson that was all in the show. Yes, yes. Ray Stevenson absolutely bossed it here. And yeah. like overall, like, and I only really look back on this series and smile when I think about it from the watching the first two episodes in the Lighthouse Cinema with Jerry. And I, I was looking up <laughs> him and his family were there too. So we ended up sitting beside each other and he saw how much of a little nerd I'm sitting there like a child, like every time like something <laughs> that I know shows up. Um 
And then like getting up late, especially at 2 a.m. That's something I've started doing now for the shows I love. Getting up late every mm. Tuesday and watching it as the episode drops. We got so much in this. And I am I'm, I'm not going to spoil plot points, but I'm going to refer to certain things. Um, if you haven't watched it and you intend doing so, we got live action Tron, we got the world between worlds, we got live action Anakin played by Anakin, Hayden yeah. Christensen, but also the badass Anakin of the, of the animated series and not the kind of whiny emo <clears throat> prequel version, the best Anakin that we wanted, the Dave Filoni one. We got live action Clone Wars throwbacks, we got awesome new characters, like you said, Ray Stevenson's Bale and Skull, amazing. Uh, we got the world between worlds, we got the shot a shot of the Mortis gods, we got Sassy Hu Yang, we got zombie stormtroopers, we got Ezra fucking Bridger, we got iconic battles, we got Purgles Chopper, loads of Hera, Jason Sandula, the list goes on. And if you'd offered me half of that, or any Rebels fan, if you'd offered us half of that at the start of the series, we'd have bitten your hand off. The casting was spot on. Even bits mm-hmm. that were slightly different, like character choices, like Ahsoka being less snips than she were, were used to seeing her and more kind of somber, downbeat and cautious. They made sense of that and they explained that, that was an actual character choice. It's not just Rosario Dawson not understanding Ahsoka or anything like that. I don't care what anyone says. When I list all of that, Sabine picking up the force a bit too quickly in the finale, that can't take all of that away, okay? Yes, that was a bit where I'm like, "Ah, I don't know about that. I don't know how they just managed to conjure up a lightsaber for everything. You can nitpick that stuff to death, but that, like, on balance of what we got is incredible. This was magical. I loved it, and it lived up to my stupidly high expectations, so I'm not going to find reasons to dislike something that does that, and I'm so glad that it made your top five. didn't even make my top five. And, and this is how much of a geek I am about it. So uh, incredible <laughs> stuff. Um, in at number five for me, again, something that you may have or may not. I had okay. Loki season two. Uh, it is in my uh my 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 top five, but it's it's uh a little bit higher. Yeah, it's okay. It's a little bit higher. We'll hold our fire then. Okay, so onto your number. That was your number five. So onto your number four. It happens to be Loki season two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go for it. You can go first. You're the guest. Go for it. Um, Man, does everything from this show was just like the aesthetics from from the first episode of this season as well. How the the sets were, the design, the the kind of like the 70s and 80s aesthetic of what the future might look like, the, the, the way the TVA is, the colors. Um... From that alone, I just adored this. Um, and then the way the characters now as well, from going into season one and finish after sorry, finishing season two and appreciating season one more because of it, because of how it is and how it ends. Um, yeah, it was just brilliant. Um, I thought they handled Victor Timely and and the situation with with John and the Majors as well as they could, I think, as well. Um, especially after Quantumania as well. And you're kind of like, what is going to happen with this character now as well? Because yeah. um, I thought Kang was quite disappointing in Quantumania, I think, for that yeah. too. But uh, yeah, just then, oh, the new characters then like OB, absolutely unreal. Um, yeah, just everything about this show just made me look forward to, to Wednesdays so, so much. Um, just to get into catch up with it and it's such a well-written show Tom Hiddleston as Loki as well just seems to just adore playing the character like he is Loki um, and yeah it's just it's it's 
it's a show that's very obvious that every actor I think in it really gives a shit about the project and puts 110 into all the characters mm. um yeah that's that for that for me is just it's a it's a easy top five for me for the year yeah agree uh and, and to me like it's again I adored this show mm. and now I'm like I can't believe this is just number five and I love this show this much and in a year where the press and the public have kind of been ready to declare the death of Marvel Studios, essentially, it hasn't actually yeah. been that bad. Like, look, sure, Quantumania was a little bit of a letdown. Secret Invasion may be the single most boring project Marvel has ever released. And I was so excited for it, but it was yeah. just, it, oh my God. It was and painful. once again, a show that didn't even mention, it didn't even get into an honorable mention. It no. was that poor, like. No, awful. Yeah. Um. But on the flip side of that, we got the excellent Guardians tree and the Marvels being way more fun than it had any right to be. So then you're kind of two for two. And then you look at this and this gives me hope because what yeah. I didn't expect from Marvel now in phase five was a story like Loki along to come along and grip me in the same way that so much a peak MCU phase three did. Uh, having liked but not loved season one, I think Eric Martin coming in as showrunner in place of Michael Waldron worked wonders for the show. He really understood that Loki works best as a kind of workplace comedy that messes with time, but doesn't allow itself to get too bogged down in it. Instead, time and all of that stuff is kind of a plot device used to help us focus on the characters we love and their motivations. Time essentially takes them out of kind of the necessity of the plot and lets us focus on what they're thinking and how they're feeling and what's affecting them. And that actually allows us to connect a lot better with them. So he gets the time is just it's so many shows about time get caught up in the the nitty gritty of it and trying to be credible and trying to get points with the internet this doesn't this is like no time should make us think about what the characters want and stuff like that as well the addition of Kihi Kwan as uh, OB was absolutely inspired. And if they found a way to squeeze him into every Marvel project, I don't think <laughs> I would ever fully dislike a Marvel project again. He is amazing. He's hilarious. And I just love anytime Kwan shows up on my screen these days. He is nailing it. The show was so good that we didn't even mind, or at least I didn't, I, don't, I didn't mind or feel weird anytime John Majors was on screen, even though that they couldn't have possibly known what was to come when they wrote and then filmed this. So they were kind mm. of stuck with what they got. They managed to give us just enough of them to make sense of where season one left off because if they just ignored them, it just would have ruined the, the plot of the story as well. So we didn't want none of him <clears throat> because we needed the character, even if they you know had to recast or anything. But it also, uh, it didn't impact the project. And it somehow, again, this is just a total fluke. They left it perfectly so that the MCU, if they do just need to do a sidestep, they can just move on if they need to. And that's great as well. I'm very happy with that. I also really liked the shift uh, back to being focused on Tom Hiddleston. For a while, it seemed like season one was kind of doing what Hawkeye did. And I didn't mind when Hawkeye did it, um, but I didn't like it so much here, whereas Hawkeye was setting up a new Hawkeye. Um, and they could still do that. Sylvie can still be around, but she is a B character. Um, and they kind of positioned her the right way here. And I think focusing on the fact that this is a show called Loki, 
Hiddleston is our Loki. This is his ship. So letting him steer it was the right move. I thought the ending was phenomenal. It blew me away. I still think about it regularly. It sits in my mind and I love it so much the more I think about it. So emotional and perfect for a character as important as Loki. And even uh, the likes of Mobius's uh, ending as well was absolutely perfect too. They promised us that it would make sense in the end and it they did. They knew. And I love that because the more they said it throughout, I'm like, this is the writer's telling us we know this is good and just yeah. like letting us go with it um despite the sheer amount of timey wimey bollocks they talked about throughout it went right above my head <laughs> they made it work they made it make sense they nailed it give eric martin more projects please he gets it and this was a huge win for marvel exactly when they needed loki season two really liked it so that was your number four which means it's time to jump on to my number four. Something that I'm surprised we haven't discussed. So I'm wondering if you've actually seen it or not, or if it might be on your list. Uh, but <laughs> because I think you'll love it if you haven't seen it. Uh, I have, the reason I loved, similar to Ahsoka, I love getting up on my Tuesdays. I love getting up on Thursdays because of Loki and because of this show, Gen V is my number four. Have you seen it or is it on your list? I've not seen it. Okay. Are you... A fan of the boys. I am. It, this is like, a, this is on my list to watch. I just, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Okay. Okay. Um, I, but I won't I'm, spoil anything. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to hear what you got to say about it though. Cause I have heard very good things about it. Yes. Is there any, for us all, just, just out of interest, was there any aversion when you heard about this project to watching this because you're a fan of the boys? Because there was for me at the start, I'm just interested to see that. Or was it just a time thing? Uh, it was just legit, just a time thing. And okay, plus, I, I tend with Prime now. I've only after getting Prime, like recently enough again. Mm. I tend to kind of just wait till a lot of stuff comes yeah, out, binge fair. the fuck out of it, yeah. and then cancel my subscription again. <laughs> yeah, it, and it is. It's a type of streamer where you can't do that because they do tend to operate in windows of being amazing. Whereas, yeah. like, okay, this is a this is a December treat to myself, and then I'm not going to make it a recurring expense. That's fair enough. Um, That's exactly what it is. I had aversions to the boys uh, or to G- Gen V because I love the boys so much. And I was like, ah, this just feels like it's going to be extra content. Um, I was not expecting to love this even nearly as much as I did. Somehow, Craig Rosenberg, who kind of took the reins for this show uh, with kind of Eric Kripke and uh, Seth Rogen and all the collaborators for the boys kind of uh, working as producers as well. He managed to do the dream spin-off thing of capturing what we loved about the original while also giving it this completely unique vibe. They kind of riff off the X-Men like it is kind of X-Men in the boys' universe. It's a school for, you know, children who have uh, who are soups. Um, but they didn't actively make it an X-Men satire as well, which I didn't want it to be. I, I, and that's what I thought it would be. And I'm like, don't just rip the piss out of X-Men. Like, give it your own life. And they did. They gave it their own life. It felt like the boys wrapped up inside a teen drama like Dawson's Creek or the OC. And that bit of melodrama (laughs) made it so campy and fun while also keeping you really invested in the very real and very devastating stakes as well. From the time I finished the three episode premiere, this was they they debuted a week before Loki. So again, I'm getting up on Thursday nights. Uh, I'm usually watching this then Loki back to back. But the first week I just watched three episodes, and I usually hate when streamers do three episode premieres. I just think it's rude. It's a drain on your time, and it's a stress in in a world where there's so much to watch. Um, but I loved it. I watched it all in one sitting. Um, and I was all in straight away. Like the 
characters were instantly iconic. Lizzie Broadway's Emma is still my absolute fave, but then you've got Kate, Marie, Andre, Jordan, and Sam. They're all great too. They're imperfect and they're kind of morally ambiguous, but they're also just fucking kids, so there's allowed to be. Uh, you've also got some great new villains in the likes of Shetty and even the incredible Tech Knight who only shows up for one episode, but I feel like he's going to be back because he was such a good, uh, effective villain. The cameos and the mentions of the boys were perfect too. I won't give away anything, don't worry, but they were never really excessive or taking away from our characters. It never felt like they were trying to go, ah, this episode doesn't really have enough. We'll just throw Billy Butcher in there. You know what I mean? They never did anything like that where it just felt like cheap or anything. Um, And while they're definitely... Should have been like I I went into it. And I'm like there has to be at least one big cameo in there, and there was. When it arrived, it was so perfectly timed and executed that literally I got up and screamed. I'm like, yes, <laughs> fucking yes! I won't tell you who, how, or when, but you will. I think you'll react the exact same. The okay. series' biggest achievement, though, for me, was how it managed to completely invert how we saw the world they inhabit. Like the motivations and of the villains in this are actually exactly the same motivations as the heroes and the boys. Yet it's told in such a way that it doesn't actually change how we feel about the boys at all. Like it doesn't make you go, are the boys actually the bad guys? It doesn't do that. It's because you want the boys to still be the boys and tell their story in their own time. Um, But actually like, again, it just flips the, the, the kind of morality of it all. I think the biggest compliment is that, that I can give it though, is when Dan and I discussed it, we both agreed we didn't want the two worlds to start blending. This is a treat unto itself. And the ba- this batch of characters have their own treats to offer. And I want them to get the time and space to do so itself. And I want uh, a new series of the boys one year. And I want Gen V another. So that I always have something of this quality to look to. And the fact that Gen V makes me not miss a show I love as much as the boys. Because it stands proudly alongside it for quality is incredible. It's almost like how Better Call Saul. You didn't miss Breaking Bad when Better Call Saul was on because essentially you were getting your Breaking Bad fix, but you're also getting something a little different too. Um, and also the fact that after it ended, I, I, was, I was still able to get up on my Thursday nights. That only ended last week when the last episode of Invincible happened and then Loki obviously had to end. But even with those amazing shows that I love still on, I still found myself longing for a new episode of Gen V. I miss it terribly. And that speaks volume to how much I enjoyed it, even with the latter two still on. Gen V, I cannot recommend it enough. I'm so jealous of you getting to binge it over Christmas. That is, a, yeah. that is an awesome thing to have in your back pocket. Amazing. And plus the, the fact that it's up above Ahsoka on your list as well. I'm like, shit, this must be amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> and I just, I just didn't expect it. It just caught me so by surprise. The three episodes, yeah. I'm just like, Holy fucking shit, we're back. Because <laughs> I love the boys. The boys is always going to be like top three, four uh, of the year mm. for me, no matter what. Like, um, And this is the boys. They just did it as good as the boys does it. It was it was incredible. Uh, really, just an absolute tree. Now we're into the top three, the business end. Okay, so yes. in at number three for yourself. This is a Netflix one that dropped. I completely f- forgot. I can't, I, it happens every Halloween with Mike Flanagan. Um, where he drops a horror series on Netflix, but yeah, the the fall of the House of Usher, man. Okay, just, interesting. I love it. I binged. I think I binged this in two sittings. Nice. Uh, and I watched them. I think I watched about six episodes in the last two. Like over, I think it was like a Sunday where I was hungover to bits. Loved it. Absolutely adored this show. And I I was kind of a bit worried 
when I went into it first because I didn't I wasn't a crazy fan of Midnight Club, the one he brought out last year. It was okay. Um, but this was just and I think it's his last one that he's doing for Netflix now as well. But what a way to like just mic drop and walk off. Like it's just the cut the the cast, the, the fact that he uses the same cast, kind of like American Horror Story a bit, where it's like an anthology kind of thing. So he'll use a lot of the same cast mm-hmm. members. And there's a nice familiarity there with, with them. But the way this story is told um, is just genius, in my opinion. Um, the fact that everything is is related as well to Ed- Edgar Allan Poe. Each story is kind of like a take on Edgar Allan Poe's um, short stories and stuff as well. It's... Uh, it's just, it was such a fun horror show to watch. And that's the, <laughs> the best way I can describe it. I haven't seen Succession, um, but I've been told it's it's similar-ish in mm-hmm. terms of its vibe. Yeah, um, Because so. as soon as, soon as they, they they put out the the premise of this during, I think it was the first episode, where there's a mole in the family for the informant and whoever finds out who the mole is gets the inheritance. I was just like, I'm fucking in. <laughs> but uh, Bruce Greenwood, though, as Roderick Strong, is just such a strong lead in this show. Uh, he's just he, his presence on screen um, is just it's phenomenal. Uh, the the discussions he has with the detective in the room, um, in each episode as well, it's never boring because mm. he he's just you hang on every word. I think he says he's just such. Uh, so just a brilliant piece of casting, I think, by uh, by Mike Flanagan, and um, for him. But then just the likes of like as well of, of Mary McDonnell as as Madeline too, who's just a phenomenal actress as well. And then I love Raúl. Co- is it Coley? Yeah, uh, who plays Leo? Um, ah, he was great. He was so he's good. So so good. Um, because like he was excellent in Midnight Mass as well. And then I just love seeing him pop back up in this as as the kind of character he was. Um, and it's fun as well just seeing all these like fairly despicable characters get their comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the fun part about this because you're kind of like, okay, it's horror and it's gory, but at the same time, these are awful people, and you're kind of <laughs> it's forecast throughout the entire episode how how each one of them are gonna go, but it's just uh that's fun. <laughs> what I love too is right. Because one of the recurring characters that he has in every show is Henry Thomas, who was Elliot from ET. <laughs> I love oh, the idea, that Mike, Yeah, <laughs> I love the idea that Mike Flanagan saw that kid and was like, "What a little prick!" Because <laughs> 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 he's just the same dickhead in every one of his shows. Yeah, and I'm like, and he's so good at it. He's right. It is the right casting for him. But yeah. I'm like, how did you get that from Elliot? <laughs> I'm like, amazing. <laughs> Yes, I agree. And you've touched on a lot at the same points so I want to touch on, so I won't, I won't double up. But when horror is done right for me, it is probably my favorite genre of storytelling. But the problem is, it's so often done the wrong way these days because people have learned the wrong lessons from horror films. They're like, they see kind of things that make us jump. So they're like, oh, we have to do jump scares. It's like, no, it's not the jump scare part. It's the psychological part that we cared about the characters that made us jump. But again, like people just take the easy route for the sake of putting out more content. But the one thing you can guarantee is with, with Mike Flanagan is that he does horror well. And he is like the Dave Filoni of horror in that he kind of yeah. holds all the keys now. And you have even the likes of Stephen King and so many others that are just like, he's the guy now. He he gets it. Um, And again, like he's he's just going to go on a whirlwind. Um, He's a household name now. So his projects are getting mega books thrown at them. Um, 
But what I really like about this is that it never feels excessive, but you see every penny on the screen. You know what I mean? It's never mm. feeling like it's just sometimes Netflix projects will just throw in explosions just for the sake of it, or they'll have like A-list cameos and stuff like that. This doesn't do any of that. It it, it leaves every penny on the screen so that we can enjoy it. And again, like you said, the cast and kind of the fact he can go back to them, they get it. But he also has such a good eye for casting. Like Bruce Greenwood, who played Roderick Usher, is such a he's a he's a journeyman actor. You know what I mean? He's that yeah. guy from that thing in like so many mid-level TV shows um, that he shouldn't have worked as well in this, but he absolutely cooked uh, and made it gripping minute to minute. What I loved about this was as well. They told you at the start what was going to happen. Like it's yeah. this isn't a spoiler. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, this is not a spoiler. It'll sound like a spoiler. I swear to God, it's not. The first episode, you're like, all my family died, and it's just yeah. like they tell you, but that still kept you totally gripped. And at times, even like there's people in it that you started to like, and you started to become hopeful that maybe it was wrong, but you know that it's not. But it's still tense, and it's still horrific, and it's still everything you want from a horror. He was just showing off at one stage, and <laughs> this horror saw this Halloween saw a lot of shit horror released, and essentially, I was so happy with this because it not only gave me something new to love that's worth my time, but it revives my faith in the future of the genre with so much still to come from Flanagan. He has my money, whatever he does next. I love this. Follow yeah, the house, Usher. And I have no problem. Even though I had it at number nine, I have no problem with it making your top three. It was one of those where I'm like, this could go anywhere on this list because I, yeah. I, I loved it too. Uh, it just, those are, are, are kind of the way it felt. My, it felt my, Absolute surprise as well of Mark Hamill showing up and throwing yes. out an incredible performance too. <laughs> like so it's good. just the cast are just so brilliant in this. This is what makes this show great is the writing is is is, is fairly on point, but like the cast sell it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just such a fun group of characters to kind of be around for those eight episodes. It's just in unison. Um, and like you say, you bring up American Horror Story and it's interesting because I do agree. It's very like early days American Horror Story where you had yeah. like Jessica Lange, uh, Evan Peters, Sarah Paulson. You had the heavy hitters and really talented actors involved and they just got it. They were in sync with what the show was and what Ryan Murphy needed of them. That feels the case here. But what was interesting to me about it was this aired for me. I was watching this around the same time as the new American Horror Story season started and that is dirt that just feels like a dead show but it was in comparison to this I'm like sorry Ryan he took your lunch I'm like it's done <laughs> sorry he's doing your thing but he's doing it way better than you um, and it was really interesting to see that uh, yeah love that show Fall the House of Usher uh, great if you haven't watched it in your number three obviously you've said there you didn't watch it but it ties nicely together with this one is Succession because the Fall of the House of Usher is like Succession but then it becomes a horror story Um, (laughs) Succession season four obviously the final series it obviously has an argument of being the defining show for our generation and as much as we all would have loved more it didn't disappoint with its final season which thankfully thankfully landed the plane safely which is what we're all worried about and there are too many highlights to name um look I'm I'm good. I'm gonna spoil, but like again, it's not a spoiler. The show told you this was gonna happen at the start. The show about succeeding. Uh, Logan Roy died. Um, and that was obviously what made this series and like how that was gonna look. Finally, they got to the succession part 
of the storyline. But again, we knew we were always going to get there, so it's no surprise that it happened in what was the final season. Um, That was one of the most visceral TV experiences ever because of how real it was, how shocking and sudden it was, how everyone reacted as they learned. They did just a one a, a one shotter. They just like kept the camera rolling. Now they did multiple one shots of this, um, but they kept the camera rolling as everyone was kind of passing the phone around and kind of talking and reacting and stuff. And it just felt real. Like everyone obviously had had a similar moment in their life, and they drew from that moment and they drew from the pain. And as much as this show is funny and interesting, and the characters are so settled and they're spoiled little brats and dickheads for the most part they just became humanized for a second and they just played really against type which was really jarring and shocking to see um and it just made me ball and again logan roy is not a good dude he's like roger kusher he's he's a he's a dickhead corporate overlord you know um and i'm like why am i bawling my eyes out at this horrible monster <laughs> dying like but it's because everyone is just playing it so realistic and it just felt like it just made us all think of those kind of moments that we we're in because we've all had them where we don't know what to say. We don't know. We're trying to say the right thing, but we're also in shock and we don't know what the fuck to say. And we're like, uh, I want to say something, but I can't think of what to say. And it's just incredible. And uh, like, then you've got stuff like Shiv and Tom, you've got election night, you've got Roman trying to be Roman while also quietly mourning and falling apart. You've got Kendall stepping up. You've got a great turn by Alexander Skarsgård. You've got cousin Greg being cousin Greg, like the one time where he confessed to Logan that he had sex in his home. Again, not a blood spoiler. It's just a funny joke. Um, incredible incredible stuff um carl all of a sudden becoming a a wisecracker like uh, when he turns around to tom and he's like i guess you're well and truly fucked um amazing stuff uh like the only mild criticism and again i'm not saying there was anything wrong with this it's my number three show and it's a top 10 that i love all of them but just in comparison to my top two is that with those top two, they flow as one kind of long story told uh, with kind of peaks and valleys. This season, and I get it because it's the final one, felt like almost 10 standalone movies. That's a really good thing in one way because we wanted to get all of the succession we could. Um, It was great experiencing it, but it in true succession style, it felt kind of like The Simpsons and that every episode felt like the world had blown up, but then the next episode, they just kind of reset and started again from normal. And that's very succession and it is very satirical of corporate America where, again, people have like career-ending experiences, but again, if you're rich enough, it just bounces off you like Teflon. Um, And that's a part of the satire of uh, that Jesse Ar- Ar- Armstrong cultivates. Um but it just kind of lacks the depth and connection that you get with the stories in the top two um, that did that as well. Having said that, to end on a positive for this, though, it stressed me out how much they had left to resolve in the finale. And I'm like, there's got to be a time jump. There's got to be this. There's got to be that. There's no way they can just wrap everything up in like one episode. And like, I think that's what they're telling us they're going to do. But like, there's no way. There's no way. And they just did it so smoothly, so calmly, so effortlessly, so perfectly with a kind of ending that had kind of the, it was satisfying within the story, but also had that damning and true to life gut punch kind of way that, um, you know, these kind of stories about the elite corporate like billionaires at work 
due. And that was an incredible feat to kind of round off an absolutely legendary series, four series of television that never dipped, never had a bad moment, never had a bad series. The only, the weakest part of succession is the first six episodes. And then you like, you get it. And then you're like, okay, this is an amazing show. And it just kept at a level of level of a 10 uh, throughout. Absolutely incredible. The final series of succession. A lot of people have it as number one. I don't have a problem with that. Um, Kev, yes. knowing you, Knowing yes. your tastes, knowing what you like, I think we've got the same two shows in our top two. <laughs> I also think, uh, yeah, because I was like, these two haven't mentioned yet. They they have to be our both of our top twos. Now, it depends on which shows, one's number one and two. That's what I'm wondering. Okay, that's what I'm wondering. I feel like we may flip, but I feel like yeah. they're the same two shows because I know what you love, and and we we've obviously discussed one as well. So let's do it in at number two for you. In at number two for me is the bear. Okay. The bear is my number one. <laughs> the bear season two. Okay. Okay. So we'll discuss that then. And maybe we'll discuss my number two now. Yeah. Well, how are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go either way. Either way. Number two, which I'm assuming is your number one. Yeah. You could say it's your number one. Go for it. It's it's The Last of Us. Yeah! What a fucking show! <laughs> Which obviously we covered. It was the first show we covered here on page 180. You were obviously on this. We did at the two Kevs, Kev Metcalf again, Body One Bruiser as well, joined us to discuss it. Um, let's talk about The Last of Us. And again, again, I guess we can discuss the bear because we've never actually discussed this ourselves, whereas we have discussed Last of Us. So we'll go Last mm. of Us and then the bear. Um, you're the guest. Go for it. Um I was just kind of thinking back on on The Last of Us as well. And every time I kind of just discuss that show with anybody, the one thing that everybody's kind of agreed on is the opening scene being setting this absolutely terrifying tone. And like, I still just think about think back to seeing that for the first time and getting like the hair stand up on the on the back of my of my neck when it's this talk or this this interview from the 1970s talking about the this the science of it and even though it's there it's like resident evil style of like virus virus gets released that like this is not going to happen but there's a tiny tiny chance it could mm. <laughs> that's just absolutely genius for me um and i just still think about that opening episode a lot uh, um kind of thinking back on it but then you've just got like the frank episode as well which was just one of the most incredible pieces of tv i think this year only between it's that and there's a there's a bear episode which we'll discuss as well, which are the mm. two greatest things that came out this year, in my yeah. opinion. They're absolute genius. But um, yeah, it's The Last of Us is is that show that just never and potentially some of it is just to do with how much I adore the game, um, and actually getting to discuss it every week with, with you and Kev as well. That maybe it's got, had more of a uh just a kind of a nostalgic kind of thing for me as well. Mm. Picking this is my number one, but in terms of storytelling and character development and what they did with the story, um, yeah, it was an easy number one for me. Um, it's just, and I, it's the show I'm most looking forward to having having an, another season. Now, I know the writer's strike and, and everything seems to have delayed that now until 2025, I think, was the last yeah. thing I heard when the next season's going to be coming out. Yeah. Um, and Pedro having an insanely busy schedule now, but... Um, yeah, just everything about this show, I just look back on it so fondly and just makes me want to watch it all over again now over Christmas. 
Um, yeah. It's just it's just a, a beautiful piece. And Neil Druckmann as well. And um, oh, what's his name? Who's the other co-creator as well? Craig, yeah. Just genius together. Absolutely brilliant. So it was so nice having, and this is something I discussed in The Last of Us, uh, the, the episodes we did. Compared to the Resident Evil films that have come out, um, and even like the newer ones as well, where they don't seem to be working in tandem with the actual game developers. It's yeah. just, they just got sold the rights to it and the, the director kind of has free reign to do whatever they want. Them working so closely together just did so, does such wonders for this for the story and doing it properly and doing it right and the fact that it's a video game adaptation done properly is a such a rare thing these days. Yeah, um, I know Twisted Metal. I've I've heard has been very very well received as well as like a really good fun show. But uh, yeah, they got the drama right. They got the <laughs> they got the casting right for the most part, according to me and you. And <laughs> <laughs> so we actually reveal it here because we were discussing the potential. It was your idea. It was all you uh, potential prank on. So for anyone who didn't listen to our Last of Us coverage, uh, our other uh, Last of Us uh, fan who joined us for that was Utter Kev. I don't want to call him Utter Kev because uh, he killed me. <laughs> um, but Kev Metcalf, uh, Ballymun Bruiser, uh, joined it. He was not a fan of Tommy's casting. He It was yeah. not his Tommy. He was very adamant about it. It became a thing. Do you want to talk about what your idea was to prank him? Yeah, I'm, I'm devastated I couldn't do this as well. So, um, yeah, so on, on the podcast, if you listen to it, Kev did have a very much a hashtag fuck Tommy Pingo on every episode. I'm not like have sex with him, fuck him. Like, fuck yeah. him. Yeah. You can fuck off. Like, yeah. 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 Um, but Gabriel Luna, or Gab- yeah, Gabriel Luna, who plays the, the character of Tommy, was he's filming something over here at the moment. And he was doing like a, a small signing in Forbidden Planet in town. And it just it didn't work out, unfortunately, that I was I was hoping to get in. And get him to hold up a sign for out a photo of the same fuck you too, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'd have to go through the whole process of explaining. So like... <laughs> yeah, it may we, we were talking about that. We're like, it may not actually work. How do you think about it? So my yeah. friend hates you. Uh, <laughs> and but this will you... be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> not for you, because again, kind of say this enough, hates you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You should be out of work. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, great. Um, I totally agree. Look, the last of us my favorite video game ever, and I'm not gonna say it's the reason we have page 180 because the idea of this show was running around my head for a good while, even before I actually officially finished slow blows. Um but The Last of Us debuting and needing to talk about it every week is what made me get the finger out and actually start this show uh, at the start of this year. So um, this is what I wanted with it. And I was delighted to be able to do so with yourself and Kev uh, as well. I had, similarly to Ahsoka, almost an unhealthy amount wrapped up in this emotionally. And with the cast mm. I got... My expectations were almost so high that I expected to be disappointed because there was no way this could be as good as I needed it to be. And not only did it vindicate me, it was best case scenario stuff as it actually added to my appreciation of the source material. Like you talked there about the kind of uh, the cold open where it was like, we lose. Uh, amazing. Uh, and the absolute balls as well, by the way. Like they did a cold open in The Last of Us, which if you know the video game has 
probably the most iconic cold open of a video game there ever has been. And they didn't yeah. go with that. They they said, no, we need to do a different cold open. What? Like, what are you doing? Um, and instead they bulked it out for the whole first episode, which made way, way more sense. It worked way better because it got us properly attached to the characters involved and that then what happened ended up hitting so much harder. But then, like, the other cold open they did, like, the extra scene where it's like, what do we need to do? Bomb. Just saying the word yeah. bomb. It was like, holy shit. Incredible. Like episode two, incredible I think, wasn't stuff. it? The cold open on that. Yeah. yeah. Episode two or three. I loved how they fleshed out the likes of Henry and Sam. Love how they accurately didn't make this just another zombie show. Uh, they gave us kind of additional characters that open up great moments from great actors like Melanie Linsky. I'm a Yellow Jackets fan, so delighted to see her getting more work. But also in doing so, we still had some epic zombie moments, like the first kind of clicker scene. Uh, you had elements of kind of the, the stepping on the roots, waking up the other zombies, which I've never seen before. Uh, the zombie kiss uh, at the end of episode two, like absolutely just weird mental, but like just so creative. And that's kind of the process of having Neil Druckmann, the creator there to keep things like realistic, but Craig Mazin coming in with his own ideas on this could work, this could work. And Neil Druckmann being willing enough and flexible enough to be able to move away from some of his ideas and allow those new ideas just added so much to the show for super fans like myself who are watching out for specific things but again we want the show to give us those things but also make us like it more and give us a reason to tune every week they nailed that the casting was incredible and like kind of a love letter to the games as well like the sheer emotion of hearing the voice of the original Ellie, Ashley Johnson, when she was cast as Ellie's mother, which was just perfect, perfect. Yep. Such a passing the torch moment, amazing. But you also had like OG Joel and Tommy getting roles as well. Like it's just, it is for gamers, by gamers, this show, but it's also as good as any show on television. Pedro Pascal as well and Bella Ramsey not only brought Joel and Ellie to life, they gave them kind of newfound elements that we'd never thought about beforehand. Bella in particular was absolutely incredible in rounding out Ellie, who is one of the best developed video game characters in history. There's no more edges, but Bella found some anyway. Incredible, incredible stuff. I cannot wait to see what she does in season two and beyond because there's a lot still to throw at her and there's a lot of room for it. And like just the excitement of Bella Ramsey gets to do that is just amazing. Um, we had questions and nitpicks throughout, like at the time, and they still exist. Like the pacing for gamers felt a little bit off at time. Like I didn't hate turning Sam and Henry's story into a two-parter and kind of bulking it up, but then we really wanted them to do the same with the likes of David Arc because that's something that sticks in our brain almost more than Henry and Sam. Um. And or the ending as well, the last episode felt very sudden as well. I remember us talking about that and we were a bit disappointed when we looked at it and it's like, 38 minutes? What the fuck? Yeah. You've got so much to get to. Um, it just throws you as a gamer as these are kind of the moments that we hold dear. However, that's more one of those things where it's like, we're not criticizing the show that we got. We're just saying we wanted more. You know what I mean? We, a couple of episodes more and we would have like, you know what I mean? It would have been absolutely perfect. Um. But I haven't even mentioned myself. You talked about it, but I haven't even spoke about the highlight of the show for me. Uh, and this encompassed everything they got right about this. Obviously, episode three, long, long time. And they kind of took a fun and interesting, but ultimately inconsequential. Like, if you think about things you like about The Last of Us, no one says Bill. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? No one says yeah. that's the part that I love. Um, but this is the episode everyone is talking about. Um, and someone that gamers only know through a letter, get like you if you're a gamer, you never meet Frank in the game. You just get one letter and you can miss it. Like you could never even know the story existed. Changing their story and blowing it up into this beautiful post-apocalyptic queer love story for the ages, powered by amazing performances by Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett. It just it just showed it, it like that's what I mean about this show, not only matching our high expectations but bettering them and making it a, this show a massive value add to Last of Us fans. This was a home run, an absolute genuine pleasure to watch every week and genuine pleasure to discuss with you and Kevella as well. Amazing. Uh, I'm going to rewatch it too because they've got the remaster of The Last of Us Part 2 coming out in mid-January. So that's just an excuse because I just want to rewatch it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, amazing. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It was my number two. Uh, your number two was The Bear Season 2. So so uh, we'll get your thoughts on that. But again, two shows that we loved and like, again, interchangeable. I could have had it any other way. It just yeah. depended on the day that I, I decided this list. That was where I felt, but I could have, I could have flipped it easily. It was honestly like a very, very tough choice for me to, to, to pick one and two. Um, Cause the bear season two, like I loved the first season and was not expecting this season to be as good as it was, but this is like another show kind of, like Ted Lasso for me a little bit in terms of I just love spending time with these characters. Um, they're they're just yeah they're just a joy to be around. But then like you got like the I suppose the cameos that were in this season as well um, were were phenomenal too. Like Will Poulter's episode I thought was great as well, and the fact that they can kind of focus on on like someone like Marcus as well doing like his culinary school then as well um, as as a side piece, but make it you're really engaged with it um, because you really just care about every single one of these characters. Mm. And for what impresses me the most, I think about this show is most of the episodes are only about half an hour long ish. Mm. Um, And how much it makes you care about every single one of these characters. um, And you're never bored if you're spending time with one character in particular. Um, That's, that's just, it just shows how tight the writing is. I think you mentioned before as well about, like the the trimming of uh, trimming the fat and just having like just this just quality over quantity episodes as well and you that's the reason why they're only about half an hour long ish i think each is just every there's not a second kind of like wasted in these mm-hmm. in the in the show um but yeah it's 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 the christmas episode man is my favorite oh. episode of television this year it's just it was per, it was the most stressful thing I watched this year, but it's, it was just absolute genius from start to finish. Um, I, I yeah, I, once again, the insane cameos that happened in in the the Christmas episode. <laughs> you got Bob Odenkirk, you got John Mulaney. Um, you, who else have you got? You've got um, John Bernthal. Uh, he's a recurring. Um, John, yeah. You kind of got this is the first time we got to see him in an episode like fully. Um, Sarah Paulson. Jamie Lee Curtis, Sarah Paulson, Julian Jacobs, Jamie Lee, like what the fuck? <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis as well, given like one of her best performances ever as well. Nailed it. It was so tragic and just unhinged and just incredible. Like, yeah, and just the, the way that episode ends, I won't spoil it as well, but just such a sudden ending <laughs> to the episode too. Um, 
and then her I don't know just the the the, the character arc I suppose in in that to, to the last episode too is uh, is brill but on top of that episode I think other standout episode for me is is uh Rich's yes episode where he's becoming a he's learning learning how to be like a proper waiter <laughs> um in that really fancy restaurant as well and learning etiquette and going from like from cleaning knives and forks to just owning and seeing the joy in him learning some of that stuff as well and actually getting it and being like oh and if finally clicking with him oh shit this is how we run things um and like i wear a suit now as well it's just such a lovely line like, yeah. so, um and that from like to, to the taylor swift song as well what yes. a fucking moment in the car too like it's just beautiful it's such a beautiful well-written show um yeah. and it's just a joy to watch every single week as well yeah i was so resistant to the idea of the bear at first because so many people that I like. I thought it was a reality show at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, same. <laughs> when, um, when you see it on the on the Disney Plus screen, you're like, "This is some fucking cooking reality." It looks so show. real. <laughs> yeah, it's so authentic. Like, um, but like, so many people that I trusted said, "No, fucking watch it. Trust me." But I'm like, I'm not like, because again, like, yeah, I don't. I'm not big into cooking shows. Like, I don't like Gordon Ramsay or anything like that. It's just not my bag. It's yeah. just not. It's just not for me. Um. I don't like shows that make me hungry <laughs> if I can't eat. Like, <laughs> and this does that, but I love it all the same. It's my number one show of 2023. Um, but this year in the summer, I was like, you got to watch this. And if you don't catch up at season two, you're going to be stuck in a hole and you're going to be miles behind. So just watch season one. It's coming out on Disney then season two and just watch it all together. Okay, fine. I did. I devoured it like in yeah. like a week. Okay. I'm not even kidding. I loved, loved, loved it. It is everything everyone says it is and more, including all of season two, which I watched. I'm not messing in one go after Barbenheimer. <laughs> so I watched wow. Oppenheimer. <laughs> I watched Barbie. And then I'm like, well, I guess that's my media for the day consumed. No, no, no. I was I'm gonna have dinner and I go, I'll watch. The first episode of The Bear. I'll watch that. That'll be my little treat to myself. And then literally it was like, I guess I'm watching the next one. I guess I'm watching the next one. And then it's 2 a.m. And then I'm like, I've watched that full series in one go. It is just so gripping and incredible and brilliant, intense, hilarious, authentic, character-driven, likable. It is like Ted Lasso on crack. You know what I yeah. mean? It is like you love the characters and you love spending time with them, but it is so freaking intense too. It's like a nervous <laughs> breakdown. Um, the soundtrack is incredible as well. I have spent yes. months since watching it, just listening to certain songs on a loop, like REM, Strange Currencies, uh, Radiohead, Let Down. Um, like amazing, like absolutely love it. I've never seen a show, and this just speaks to how good it is, but it doesn't sound like a compliment. I've never seen a show that legitimately traumatizes people who watch it, yet they speak about it like that's a good thing. Like a friend yeah. of mine, Sinead, um, can't watch multiple episodes back to back and has to pause sometimes because it straight up triggers her from the stress of what of years working in restaurants. Um but this as well triggered me. It's not just if you're in restaurants, it's just relatable content. Like the Christmas episode, like you spoke of, fishes, fucking incredible. But like 
triggering. You know what I mean? It's like I have been in that scene. I have walked on those eggshells. I have danced around those things. I have seen those family arguments erupt. I've tried to be the nice. I've tried to be every person in the scenario. I've tried to be the person. I've been burnt all. Who's like, no, do you know what? This person's a fucking dickhead. And I don't care for my family dinner. He doesn't get to be a fucking dickhead. I've ruined family dinner for everyone. So I'm going to call him out on it. I've been John Mulaney and Sarah Paulson. Now everyone just calm down. I've, <laughs> I've been like, who, who, who is like Jamie? I've never been Jamie Lee Curtis, but I've been around Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, her character. <laughs> and everyone's just like, that's just the crazy person. And we just let her be crazy every year mm. this time because that's what we do at Christmas. Um, it is so triggering for myself and so many other people, but so validating at the same time because you're like, other people go through this and then you hear everyone else talking about it and they're like, oh, that Christmas episode, that's great. And I'm like, is this just what Christmas is and why do we celebrate it? <laughs> but like, it was such good television. It felt real. I'm literally watching it, digging my like hands into the couch as I'm watching it because I'm so yeah. fucking tense and intense and I'm just emotionally drawn in and I'm just like remembering past traumas that I'd repressed it's just it does all of that to you but then it just makes you laugh like in the next second you know what I mean um and then to have that episode and you've, you've said the same to follow that up with forks which is the character centric episode that in 35 minutes takes this complex character of Richie who he's an asshole. Like there's not much to him. He's just an asshole. Um, but you kind of like him. Like he's funny. You see why John Berndahl yeah. hung around him. Like you, you'd have a drink with him, you know, but just one, you know, and you just listen to his jokes. <laughs> and then, but then he starts to get drunk and you're like, I guess it's time to go home. And you take that, you know, we all know a Richie, but they just changed everything about that we thought about him and it was showing off and it was like you generally I watch fishes and I'm like this that's the best episode of television I'm going to see this year that's incredible and then I'm like I don't know if that was the best episode of television that I've watched in the past two hours <laughs> and then like I'm like this show <laughs> is just showing off uh with the people that it got it like the cast we spoke about the kind of guest stars it gets is Will Poulter and, and like the cameos it gets and it just speaks to how good it is because it's not a big budget show um but it's just like they obviously these actors are calling their agents going, get me on the bear. I fucking love that show. Um, yeah. But on top of that, then it has just this amazing cast and gifts that they've given us and the likes of now this isn't their first project, but it, it's the first time they've got to be this level of an actor and show us what they can do in this way. Jeremy Allen White, obviously, as Carmi, you've got Ayo Edabiri as uh Sydney, you've got Ebon Boss Bacharach as Richie. By the way, as well, if you like the bear and you like that kind of humor and that naturalistic way of talking. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, I think you need to go see um, the new kind of AO and a very comedy. I'm, I'm struggling to think of it now. It's absolutely incredible though. Um, but it really captures her, her like the, the bear kind of humor that it has as well. It's brilliant. Uh, even the minor characters have me fully bought in though. And like the arcs that they had where they sent Tina and Ibra on this uh going back to school mission and stuff like yes. that. Like when, yeah. when Tina walked into the karaoke bar and all of a sudden this really like kind of spicy, like melty Latina was all, all of a sudden vulnerable and just want to have friends. I'm like, Tina, I just want to hug you through the screen. When Ibra yeah. was getting vulnerable 
because he realized there was a lot that he didn't know and he's not and he's old so he's not used to learn oh my fucking god like my heart is just like I want to like literally grab the screen and hug these people uh, they're so, so relatable into them. yes they're just yeah. real they're just real um and then you look into the production story that this has, right? Because you look at the list, and I think this is why it made my number one, right? The Last of Us is amazing, but it was set up to succeed. Look at the cast, look at the budget, look at the fan base that they're building on. It's on HBO, it's on Sunday nights, it's going to get a huge marketing budget. Succession, Gen V coming off the back of the boys. Loki is in the MCU. Beef has a Netflix machine behind it. Ahsoka, Star Wars, Big Brother, obviously a huge IP. The Fall of House of Usher, Netflix again, Always Sunny is on a 16 series. All of these are set up to succeed the bear isn't okay the bear is a small but growing quickly show made on a shoestring budget on a tight budget and production window essentially they're just like here like this was a show that the creator had uh christopher store had kicking around in his head that he wanted to tell about a time he'd spent working in a similar restaurant okay um and essentially they're like here we'll do that fucking script of yours but like can you make it in six weeks and he's like, sure, yeah, I'm making six weeks. It's grand. Don't worry about it. And then he did it. <laughs> and that was season one. And then all of a sudden, they're just like, uh, like, yeah, actually, we have a window open in the summer. Can you do another one? Really sure notice. And he's like, yeah, I can do another one. Not a bother. And then he goes out and makes it. And he makes it the best. And it's a simple show about running a restaurant. Uh, but somehow it's the best show on television. But not only that, look at the story you told. Season one, if you got into season one, okay, you really liked it because you liked the... Not, like the character stuff and everything else in it is great, but the core of the show was like set in this restaurant and all the drama's happening while they're preparing meals and the restaurant's really busy and it's stressful and stuff like that. And that's the default show. This show at the end of season one moved away from that by saying, we're not going to have any of that until the last episode. We're not going to have any of them working in a, it's a show about working in a restaurant where they can't work in a restaurant in season two. And it's fucking incredible. They put obstacles up against this show and it delivers the best show on television. In fucking credible, and I, I'm I, I was unsure if it was my number one going in. I'm fucking sure of it talking about it. I love this show. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and rewatch it. I'm gonna rewatch the Christmas episode on Christmas Day just to feel validated. I'm like, well, I'm not the only one having a shit Christmas. <laughs> yeah, incredible. That, that incredible is what stuff. that 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 is something that like because those characters in that particular episode, I think, is so relatable to people as well. It's so important because you kind of feel like in those situations fuck, I'm so alone in this, but it's something that like really brings you together with everyone because you're like, oh, I'm feeling really alone right now, but it's a weird thing of, of because everyone has this going on as well. You don't feel as alone anymore. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And it's it's a beautiful thing. I also got to mention it as well. Cousin Fack as well is yeah. just <laughs> fucking great. Every time he's on screen, even the Christmas episode, especially him and the brother were just absolutely unreal as these like, Amazing. they're the they're, 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 they're comedy Aspect parts of that episode that you really need, I think, yeah. as well. But most in most episodes, Fack is just brilliant. And then when he gets his uh his suit, then as well, is just beautiful. I love it because we're yeah. suit guys now. <laughs> <laughs> and and what um, I loved as well about the Christmas episode was right because you've got little things like Carmi is an intriguing lead character, but you never fully understand him. You're like, why mm. you standoffish? Why you like this? Why you? Why did you have to go? Why? There's so many questions around Carmi, and you just think. That's just who he is. They're never going to explain it. And in one episode of television, you're like, 
He's codependent. He became a caregiver for his mother, which means that he sacrifices his own <clears throat> happiness uh, for others. This is why he became a chef, because he wanted to make food for other people to keep everyone else happy. He's the one person in his life who will constantly go out of his way and sacrifice his Christmas to make sure everyone else has a good Christmas. But the reason he does that is because he has this high-pressure mother who he just wants to be loved by and keep happy and stuff like that as well. And then that obviously sets into motion the way that it kind of where it ends up uh, and how his character plays out. Like, and it's like, you've just answered every question. And then, then they do the same for Richie in the next episode. And then they do the same for um, Sydney in the next episode. Like, and it's yeah. just like, this show is just, it is beautiful. It is perfect. If you haven't watched The Bear, I know it sounds like we've discussed a lot experience it we haven't even tipped the iceberg for how good this is it is a monster of a show and i can't wait for season three it is fantastic best show on television i'm, I'm very confident in saying that now um but kev i've really enjoyed yes. this conversation this this is the reason why you've been trying to get your back all year so let's <laughs> not leave it so long until we have another conversation um but an absolute I pleasure do, go ahead i do have one question before we go okay i know we've go, been go. we've been going on a long time this is the discussion we had at work. <laughs> okay. Um, and it was only that I watched the Muppets Christmas Carol yesterday uh, <laughs> in the cinema. And I, and I was like, I, I should ask Ray, or Jerry about this. So if you could recast any movie with the Muppets, but you have to keep one human character in it as well, what movie would it be? Ooh. Ooh. Okay, I got it. Okay, go on. Die Hard, but I'm keeping Alan Rickman. Wow, mine is Die Hard as well. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we're friends. This is why we're friends. Was Alan Rickman the person you kept? No, I'm keeping Bruce. Miss Piggy okay, and yeah, Bruce right. is just fucking genius to me. Like, and but have, he's not selling got... it. He's not yeah, like into he's it. Not... He's, he's not acting. Like, you can't make Bruce Willis act. Bruce Willis is what the fuck he wants on camera. So, like, yeah. he's just like, I don't know why I'm kissing the pig. And it's like, Bruce, yeah. that's not the... read the script. <laughs> <laughs> who's like, who's like, Alan? Uh... Who's snorting coke off the office desk? <laughs> Oh, that's Fuzzy Bear. He's a kind of joker kind of guy. <laughs> Bobby, I got <Yeah>. you. <laughs> and then we had uh, Gonzo as as Hans Gruber that as well. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I can't believe we both picked Diane. We had the entire of movie history to pick from, and we went to Diane. Incredible, incredible. Um, Love it. Kev, we can't top that. We can't top that. Um, <laughs> But we will try again. We're going to have you back on. Uh, fantastic <laughs> stuff as always. Love that top 10. Uh, guys, follow Kev on social media, Kev Fan Club, if you haven't already. Check out Fan Club as well uh, and everything that they do. Seriously talented band. Uh, you can get all their stu- a lot of their stuff on Spotify. Uh, really recommend it. Uh, Kev, thanks for joining us on page 180. And we'll chat soon. Thank you very much, man. Talk soon. That's all the time we have this week on page 180. Next week, it's the final page 180 of 2023, and we'll see Tom Pot join us to discuss the best movies of the year. I'm going to review Wonka. What's going to be in the final show of the year? I think it's time to reflect a bit, and I think it's time to look at and discuss and review the future of the show. Until then, this has been page 180. I've been Jer Leggett. Follow us on socials if you haven't already. Until next week, the password is Go Fast Boats Mojito, all one word.